Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is on like Donkey Kong, folks. Let's get this thing rolling. We are about to have pitchers and catchers report to Mesa, Arizona, and the 2021 season is so right around the corner. Did I read that right, Commander, that it is uh, February 17th our boys are going to be arriving in Mesa, Arizona? You are correct. That's, uh, what is that, next? That would be next, what's today? Today's the, yeah, it'd be next Wednesday, so a week from today. Unbelievable. I cannot wait. I did a, I did a deep dive last night. I'm so jonesing for baseball. I did a deep dive on the MLB Network special on the Atlanta Braves of the 90s. And they did a great special. You know, they won 14 straight division titles, only one World Series. And but it's it's Chipper Jones, it's Greg Maddox. That's what I did last night cuz I'm ready for baseball. Today We're going to continue to preview all the teams in Major League Baseball. We're starting in the National League West. We'll work our our way to the Central, the East. Then we'll do the American League East back to the Central and end with, of course, the American League West. But today, we are going to have Drew Goodman on at 1.30, voice of Rockies television, I should say face, uh, Drew's a good guy. We've had him on before. We'll talk about the Rockies. What's 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 it like in Denver right now? You traded Nolan Arenado. We don't know what's going on with Trevor's story, so we'll find out at 1.30. We'll do a little green and gold history of Dave Feldman at 2 o'clock. It's a Wednesday, so that's a Ray Fossey day at 2.30. And the general manager of your Oakland Athletics, David Force, will be here at 3.30. Am I seeing this correctly? Jed Lowry is going to join us at 1.15, Cody? I, I just got the confirmation from Fernando. Jed Lowry is going to be calling us in about 10 minutes or so. So Jed Lowry back with the ace for the third time 
He will be on with us in about 10 minutes. Hey, the bottom line is this. Chad Lowry, in his career, when he plays for the Oakland Athletics, he's a beast. Jed Lowry has been a great A. When he leaves the A's, he just can't stay healthy. And if you go to his baseball reference page, the only time in his career where he has played over 100 games, it's all with the A's. It's crazy. Didn't do it with Boston. Didn't do it with Houston. Now, he's had two stints in Houston uh, with the Mets. With the Mets, he's only played nine games. But Jed, Jed Lowry in 2013 played 154 games for the A's. 2014, he played 136. Jed in 2017 with the A's played 153. And 2018, 157. 2018, he was incredible. 23 home runs, 99 RBIs. 37 doubles, an OPS of 801. The year before, he had 49 doubles. 2017-2018, Jed Lowry was, for Bob Melvin, you're hitting third. And we'll ask him, because he's, I believe he's 36 years old, Cody. How's he feeling? Because he has the knee problems. I mean, he's just, he's, he's had these injuries. But when... Cody, when 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 Jed Lowry plays for the A's, he stays healthy and he's a monster at second base. I remember the All Star game in 2018 in DC. I went to that game and I, I remember talking to him and uh, um, Blake Trinan at the All Star game. It was awesome talking to them too. Everyone was like surrounding Manny Machado in the club in the clubhouse at, at uh, Nationals Park, and because it was right around when he was going to get traded from the Orioles and they didn't know where he was going and. Jed was kind of just standing there, and I walked up to him, and we talked for like five minutes, and it was, you know, cool to catch up with him and talk to him. And then, you know, obviously I talked to Blake Trinan too. But, yeah, Jed playing for the A's, you know, he's been great. This is now his second stint with the A's. Um, he's had a nice career playing for the A's, but you're right. I mean, third. yeah, sorry, his third stint with the A's. I, I said that the first time, and then I, I I forgot already. But, yeah, he's a career 271 hitter with the A's, and he's hit 60 home runs in 320 games with the A's, or 320 RBIs in 687 games with the A's, which is five seasons. So he's had a nice career playing for the A's, and I'm glad to see him back on a minor league deal with the invitation to spring training. So you're waiting to see if he'll make the roster because he's been injured the last few years with the Mets, but he's a good hitter, switch hitter, when he is healthy. There's no question. And, and when you sign a minor league deal – I mean, it's basically it's a, this is either going to be something that's really, really good or it just won't work out. But it's a minor league deal, so it's no pressure. Hopefully he can come in. Uh, we'll ask about that knee. How's his knee doing? And if you could get Jed Lowry back. Wow. Now look at your infield. How much does that change the way you look at this season? If you have Elvis Andrus at short and Jed Lowry can be somewhat healthy and play for you uh, at second base to go with Chapman and Olsen, how, how much does that dramatically change how you look at this infield? And now you're taking back Pender into the super utility role where he can play all over the diamond. It's a, it's a good luxury to have, if, like I said, if he can make the roster and he's healthy. 
because he can play second base, he can play first base, he can play third. He can he could be a guy you can use all over the place, and he can DH for you if you need him to, being a switch hitter if you want to use Canna in the outfield. So that helps a lot too. But hopefully he's healthy, he can make the roster, but he adds a nice uh, veteran leadership along with Andrews to this team that the team lost with Marcus being the leader. Uh, but you're hoping that he bounces back healthy, and you know it's been tumultuous pretty much in New York the last two years. But every time, as we mentioned, every time Jed's in the uh, the green and gold, he looks awesome. So. Um, I'm actually pretty excited. I remember I called you. I was like, "Hey, did you see the news? Who's back with the A's again?" Because yeah. <laughs> we all, you know, we joked about it. What was it like earlier this year? We're like, "How many? You know, yeah. what's it like? The, what's the chances Jed's back again?" And here it is. Hey, hey, hey I'm not going to oversell this. He basically hasn't played in two years, so I'm not going to oversell it. I'm just going to say this though: if you can get Jed right, he's a better version than Tommy Lastella. And how much did we love Tommy Tommy Lastella? You're talking about a guy that had 49 doubles and 37 doubles back-to-back years, setting the record for the A's. Jed Lowry has been nothing but an extra base hit machine when he's been with the green and gold. I mean, he's I mean, I mean, you're talking about incredible years. When you get an 808 and an 801 OPS out of your second baseman back-to-back years, I mean, we knew he wasn't going to resign. Mets gave him good money. Brody Van Wagenen took a lot of heat because he was signing his ex-clients, who Jed was. But, I mean, if you tell me you can get Jed Lowry back and get him going again, I mean, if that doesn't excite you, once again, not going to oversell it because he's got to be healthy. But there is that weird thing that when he plays for our ball club, he's healthy. And he made that move from shortstop to second base. He's not Roberto Alomar. He's not Joe Morgan. But if you hit it at him, it's going to be an out. He's got good hands, good arm. This could be a very intriguing move. By the way, the A's have not announced yet that Mike Fires has signed, even though everybody else has said he has signed. <laughs> Are we going to get David Forrest to admit that Mike Fires is a uh, is an A? Uh, that, I mean, that's the plan. Else has confirmed it. Like you go anywhere on the internet, and you're going to find that Mike Fires has re-signed with the A's, but they haven't announced it yet. Why? That's a great question. Hopefully, David will confirm it maybe we'll hear his phone buzzing in the background and it's fires maybe telling him hey you can confirm that i'm back now we are gonna have to go over an article that i saw and it really upset me i just i just i could not believe well you know what i can believe it it's just it's bad journalism it really really is bad we've we've had we've had a lot of bad journalism lately did you see the uh did you see the headline that the Washington Post had for Marty Schottenheimer? Yeah, that was that was that was terrible. I mean, we talked about Marty. What we remember, we talked about Marty when we talked to Hembo about the Super Bowl, and you know, a coach with 200 wins, and you write that headline after he just passed away. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, read the room, as we like to say. I mean, it's that was emba- I mean, embarrassing for that to happen. Uh, I, I at some point you expect to hear someone lost their job. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer had a hell of a career in the National Football League as a player, as a coach. 
coached multiple organizations, had the great success in Kansas City, had the great success in San Diego. And you write a headline like that. I don't even want to. You can look it up, folks. This man passes away and you write a headline like that. That that's one of the most disrespectful things I've seen. The article I'm talking about is ESPN.com ranked the starting rotations. And they had the A's 20th. I could not believe that. They had the Angels, who we talk repeatedly about. I don't know how the Angels, again, are going to get 27 outs on a daily basis. They ranked the Angels ahead of the A's. This article is the most disrespectful article I've seen in a long time about the A's. And it just goes to show these people aren't watching. I mean, if I go down the A's rotation, Manaya, Frankie Montas, Chris Bassett, Jesus Lazardo, Mike Fires, there's not many rotations in baseball that are better than that. And you throw in the depth of a Dalton Jeffries, a Caprellian, Holmes, Puck, you name it. There's no way that all those names only rank 20th. There's no way. And looking at this article, like right out of the gate, yes, they have the Dodgers at one. And the Dodgers have so much talent, I would rank them one. But then they put the Yankees two. The Yankees have Garrett Cole. And after that, what do they got? What do they got, Cody? A bunch of they're they're trying to maybe ca- capture on a market of guys that were injured and you're hoping will bounce back like Kluber and Tyone and um, Luis Severino, Jordan Montgomery had Tommy John before. I mean, all these guys are hurt. They're all hurt. They got one. They got Garrett Cole and a bunch of hurt guys, and they rated them the second best rotation in baseball. Are you high? Couldn't believe it. At three, you got the Washington Nationals. Okay, I can see it. You're hoping that Lester's going to bounce back. You're hoping Strasburg's going to be healthy. Okay. Uh, The Mets. You got DeGrom. You got Carrasco. You got Stroman. I I don't understand, and I think you kind of fall into this too, Cody. Everybody acts like Syndergaard's just coming back. Syndergaard had Tommy John surgery. They want you now to basically rest and rehab for 14 months, not 12 months, not before 12 months. They want four. It's over a year. And then when you come back, you're not coming back, taking the ball every five days and going seven, eight innings. So when does that really, when's Syndergaard again? And by the way, it's not like Syndergaard's been great lately anyway. I mean, when do you really think Noah Syndergaard can come back and take the ball every five days on a regular basis, Cody? Uh, If you're going off the 14 months, I think he had it back in like, March or April of last year when we had the, the shutdown. It, 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 it was it, – we can look it up, but it is when the regular season should have started. Yeah, so we're right around then. And 
you figure maybe around June or July. So I would say maybe July is when he's back for the Mets. And, you know, they're putting a lot of emphasis on, you know, DeGrom and Stroman and Carrasco and, and uh, DJ Peterson, the young rookie from them last year. So they're putting a lot of pressure on Peterson, who's a young pitcher, to, you know, to be a guy because they got rid of Steven Matz. They traded him away. You got Lucchese from the Padres in that deal, that three-way trade. But um, these are all guys that aren't, you know, pro- I mean, they're adorable guys. They're not the best, but they're guys you can put, throw out there. But the, I think their rotation might be ranked a little too high. If they would have Bauer, yeah, I would say be, they'd be ranked a little higher, but they didn't get him. So They got the Astros at eight. Zach Grinke's going to be 37, and he got hit around last year. Lance McCullers, Jr., He's another Tommy John guy. He's going to be babied. Valdez, Urquidy, I mean, unproven. I think they could have a decent rotation, but I just, I when I read this article, Cody, I was just like, this is, this I've, is so off the mark for me, it's unbelievable. Well, you know how I feel about the Pakoda projections, which we can get to later, because um, there's a lot of things I disagree with in there, but... Um, the Brewers being ranked 11th is a uh, head scratcher to me. A team to finish under 500 last year. You got Brandon Woodruff and Josh Lindblom, Corbin Burns, who was a he was a um, a guy that was up for Cy Young last year in a 60 game season. Adrian Hauser, Eric Lauer, and Freddie Peralta. If you're not a baseball, if you're just a casual baseball fan, you're literally looking at team. I just list. I just named off those guys. And you're going who? Who? Yeah, you go into a series with them. Does that scare you? I'm looking at the rotation. Does that scare you? It does not scare me. No, Hader and Devin Williams scare me in the back end of their bullpen, but I don't know about the guy starting the game for them. This is only about starters. That's the thing. This is only about starters. And he is back. Jed, Chris Townsend with the A's. How are (laughs) you? What's up, Tony? How are you, man? Oh, it was so good to hear uh, that you that you uh, signed with the A's today. Uh, I'm I'm happy to, and I think we're all going to be happy to have you back. How have you been? Um, I've been I've been pretty good, man. I've been pretty good. I I've been I've been saying uh, you know all good all good stories are trilogies, right? No doubt. And I was I was saying this, you know, I know there's been issues uh, with injuries, but when you've played for the A's. You've been have you've been healthy and you you've had your best years. How how is your knee doing? Uh, it's doing much better. I uh, I got surgery in October and so I'm well down the uh, well down the rehab road and uh, I think I'm in a good place going into spring training. You know I, I think about your time with Bob Melvin and Bob has always been hey Jed Lowry you're hitting third you're my guy. Uh, just how happy are you to be back and because you're so comfortable here. No, I, Oakland. Oakland feels like home, and um, you know I, I'm I'm excited to to rejoin this group and and uh, and do what I can to help help win. I mean, listen, this is uh, this is a team that won the division last year, and uh, you know uh, bringing back a, a a lot of key pieces um, from that run. So it, uh, it it should be should be a good group. And I, like I said, I'm I'm just um, overly excited to uh, to get back on the field with these guys. Yeah, we did. We had uh, Elvis Andrus on on the show on Saturday when the trade went down, and that you know the the number one thing for him was like coming to Oakland. I got a chance to win because they weren't they're not trying to win in Texas, and I got to think for you, it's the same thing. You're coming back to the environment that you left. You know, Billy Bean and David Forrest, 
are, are giving you guys an opportunity to, to try and win a championship. And all these young guys that you remember, they've gotten a little bit older and a little better. No, and that was uh, that was just a matter of time. I mean, everybody everybody could see what what these guys were capable of, and um, you know, I've been I've been following uh, I've been following closely, and and uh, you know, just obviously, it's great to great to see the uh, great to see the success. How excited are you for a standpoint of we're not talking sixty games, we're not talking about a summer camp. It's just like. Hey, there's spring training and there's going to be a season. I, I think for someone like yourself, a veteran, you, you know, let's 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 get away from all the politics and let's start playing some baseball. Yeah, no, listen, I, I mean, I think we uh, we need to be um, you know conscious of what's going on uh, in the in the world and in the country, and um, and obviously take uh, proper you know. Uh, precautions in order to, you know, make sure that we can uh, play that full season. But, but absolutely. I, I mean, you know, the baseball is baseball has uh, so many, uh, so many properties within the game that that's good for this country. And, and so, um, uh, you know, that, that's, that, that's certainly an important part of our culture. You know, when I think about spring training for you, what, what are you most excited about? I, well, I mean, just getting, getting back out there and, and, uh, you know, putting the uniform on and, and having the opportunity to, uh, you know, to play and, and, you know, listen, that, that's all you can ask for as a player. And, you know, I've been doing it for a while and, and to have an opportunity to go out there and, and, um, you know, compete at the highest level, it, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, we, we were talking about it earlier. We were going over your baseball reference page about just when you've been in Oakland, you've been an extra base hitting machine. Uh, some people say they don't like hitting at the Coliseum. You, you've you loved hitting at the Coliseum. Uh, what do you think about when you're coming back to Oakland, going back to the old ballpark? Yeah, no, listen, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm excited to uh, to see what the digs are like now because you know, with the with the Raiders not in house anymore, I think they have moved into that uh, bigger bigger space and uh, and see how they've they've transformed that space. Um, but you know, the, the, there could be a lot of energy in the Coliseum. You know, those playoff games are are, are great. So um, and and you know, the batter's eye is fantastic in in Oakland. And um, you know, some of the colder nights, it's it's harder to uh, get the ball to carry. But you know, I'm I'm a I'm a doubles guy anyway. So we just you know, look for the gaps. How well do you know Elvis? Well, I mean, we've played against each other for, uh, you know, better, uh, more than a decade now. So um, we just based on competitors, you know, we, we know each other well. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, having the same jersey on and, and, you know, working with him every day. Yeah, as we told him on Saturday, we, you know, a lot of respect uh, all the years watching his career. And mm -hmm. I, I said this to him, and I think the same thing works for you is the fact that you're coming back to the American League West, a division you know really well. Obviously, he's been in the division his entire career. How much does that help you that you're coming back to, you know, you know the players, you know the teams, you know the ballparks? Yeah. No, I, I think I, I think that I think that does, uh, you know, that, that carries some weight. That's that's real. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, growing up on the West coast too, it, it, um, you know, it feels like home and, and coming back to, to Oakland, like, like you've said repeatedly, you know, this is the place that, that, um, had the, had the most success in my career and it, it, it feels like home.
Now, normally you would do an exotic vacation in the off season. I, yeah. I, I'm assuming you didn't do that this year, but that's one thing I remember a tradition for you and your wife. You, you guys have been all over the world. We, we do do a lot of travel. Um, this year, uh, it, it has not been so much, uh, you know, more, more road trips just to, you know, break up the monotony. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we kind of looked at each other the other day, our, our 10 year anniversary is coming up and we were like, we need to, we need to just hold out hope that we can, uh, you know, we can do something fun and, and plan something for the off season. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it hasn't been as much travel, but it's been, it's been nice to, uh, you know, get the extra time with the kids and, and see them, uh, you know, see them grow up. You know, I, I, I know how Bob Melvin feels about you. He said it multiple times on this show. Have you, have you been able to talk to Bob since you signed? Uh, briefly, uh, I, I was able to speak to him last night. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I expressed how excited I was to be coming back and, and, you know, coming back to a lot of familiar faces. And, and, uh, you know, that, I think that feeling was mutual. Yeah. Well, don't worry. Not much has changed since you left. <laughs> well, that's, no, I, that, that's, that, that's, uh, that's, that's exciting. Cause I, I remember when I, um, you know, when I signed in Houston, I came back, you know, I got traded back a year later and there were like five guys that were the same. So, um, there can, uh, you know, there can be a fair amount of turnover in Oakland, but I, I think that that's, uh, that's not the case. Um, uh, you know, coming into this year, uh, I'm, I'm coming back to almost the same situation, uh, three years later. Well, I got to tell you, we're, we're really excited to have you back. We know what you've meant to this organization in the past and, and what you can do going forward. So congratulations on re-signing. Can't wait to see you and uh, hope you stay healthy in spring training. And, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully, I don't know if we're, we don't even know yet if we're going down to Mesa, but uh, if not, we'll be back <laughs> here in Oakland. Be safe and be well, my friend. All right, Tony. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I just, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear that. And I, you know, this organization means a lot to me too. So that's, uh, that's nice to hear. Take care. All right. Jed Lowry back with your Oakland athletics. I mean, if he's healthy, Cody, this guy, this guy hits like it, it's a steal. I mean, this would be if if you can get Jed Lowry back to being Jed Lowry, an A's Jed Lowry. This is an absolute steal. It's you've been seeing so many money ball deals. I mean, you think about the trade with the Rangers. You look at this deal. I mean, can you imagine Jed Lowry comes back and hit thirty something to forty something doubles and plays second base for I don't know, hundred and fifty, hundred and forty games? That's a steal. I agree a, th- a thousand percent. I looked up while Jed was on. I brought up his stats hitting at the Coliseum. How many career doubles do you think Jed has at the Coliseum? I'll a give ton, you a ton. In 1,345 at bats, how many doubles do you think he has? And how many? 1,345 at bats. I'll go with 80. Close, 88. It's a lot of doubles at the Coliseum. A lot of doubles. The next closest is he hit 37 at Fenway and 27 at uh, Minute Maid in Houston. I mean, switch hitter. You put if you can get Jed Lowry back to being Jed Lowry. You you essentially write him into the three hole. 
You want the guy that makes contact? You want the guy that moves the line? You want that guy? That's what you had with that, you know, you saw how excited everybody was with Tommy Listell. Tommy Listell is a good ball player. But in, in, in their best years, Tommy Listell is not as good as Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry, once again, set the record for most doubles. This guy, Bob Melvin, it was every day, writing him in the three-hole. Every day. And then that just pushes everybody back. Trust the process. I can't say it enough. Trust it. Your ball club goes to the postseason all the time. Why? Because being and forced have a process. You're one of the few teams in baseball that's trying to go to the postseason for a fourth straight year. Everybody was panicking. Now you bring in a shortstop. Now, cross your fingers, you bring in a second baseman. If Jed Lowry is healthy, you've just improved your depth. Because now you can put Chad Pender and Tony Kemp all over the place. Getting rid of Chris Davis allows Mark Canna to get at-bats every single day. That now, now, how does that change left field if Jed can play every day? Now you have a bunch of guys you can throw into the left field mix. Maybe one of the kids. I mean, a lot of people, Barrera, a lot of people are high on Barrera. Or is it Brown or Bolt or Fowler or is it Pender? Is it Kemp? I mean, now you have a lot of different bodies that you can throw out in left field if, and I've always said this, ifs don't win games, but I'm excited about Jed. And worse comes to worse, if he can't, if he can't go, he can't go. He's had a great career. And you'll figure it out. Then we're back to talking about Pender or Kemp or, you know, playing second base. Veal mile machine. But uh, you just go look at the numbers. Are we calling Drew or is he calling us? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a call right now. The Rocky. Be interesting to feel uh, interesting to see how people are feeling in Colorado. Drew, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, how are you? We're doing well. And this is what, you know, every offseason, what we do is we go around each division, check out how teams are doing. We started with the Diamondbacks. Now we're the Colorado Rockies. How are things in the Mile High City? Well, it's been a tumultuous couple of weeks, as I'm sure you're aware, with uh, the Rockies uh, moving Nolan Arenado to St. Louis for uh, uh, five, basically five prospects. One in, in Gomber, the pitcher, he's already been in the big leagues and uh, was effective last year in the truncated season. But uh, obviously, Rockies fans are, are not happy these days because, uh, you know, the Rockies just uh, parted ways with uh, potentially a future Hall of Famer. So, 
Uh, as I said, tumultuous times right now. Uh, the Rockies felt uh, it was necessary to move him. Nolan was, was not happy, wanted a trade. And given the financial circumstances with COVID, et cetera, and even moving forward into 2021, I think they felt like this was a necessary move for the club right now. You know, we got to talk to him and, you know, he was high school teammates with our own Matt Chapman and Nolan seemed like a really good guy. I remember watching the press conference when he signed uh, the huge contract to be the face of the franchise. How did it flip so fast from we're signing you up basically for your entire career to we now got to move him. He's got to get out of here. It's a great question. It's a great question. Um, you know, how, how it deteriorated to the point where Nolan wanted uh, out and there was no uh, ability to repair the relationship, though I know there were attempts uh, to do that. Uh, I'm not sure. It's probably a better question uh, for Nolan. And I know he kind of deferred that, you know, he has nothing but respect for the Rockies and, and, and enjoyed his time. And he said all of the, the right things. I, I will say this, and I think Nolan's a great kid, and he obviously is a great player, and he has a tremendous work ethic. Um, you know, he the Rockies were in the postseason in 2017, and 2018, as amazing as this may sound right now, because there's a, a, a pretty large delta between where the Rockies currently are and where the Dodgers are, the defending world champions. The Rockies, two years ago, finished in a dead heat at the end of 162 games atop the division with the Dodgers. And, the Dodgers won uh, game 163 at Dodger Stadium. And then the Rockies had a, had a terrible year in, in 2019. It happens to teams where they just don't perform up to uh, their capabilities. And, and that's when, you know, Nolan was upset after the 2019 season that the Rockies didn't do more in, in free agency, um, though their owner, you know, was on record as saying, we're going to have a lot of money coming off the books after after 2020 and that's when we plan on being more active this of course was pre-covid and so i don't i don't know where there was a disconnect obviously i'm not privy to every conversation that takes place uh leading up to when things became more public but it, it's unfortunate i mean the rockies certainly are not a better team without nolan arenado at third base batting in the middle of their lineup and um you know it's, it's tremendously disappointing i understand the fan sentiment because you're talking about uh, you know, one of the game's best players. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Drew Goodman podcast, I, I guarantee it hasn't been boring lately, right? You've had a lot to talk about. Yeah, they, we've had a, we've had a lot to talk about, and it's funny you mention that because uh, we come out on Thursday, uh, Thursday morning across, you know, all your favorite um, places that you download podcasts, and thanks for, for mentioning that. But, uh, you know, now I'm in addition to, you know, touching on the Super Bowl and Brady and all of those things, F.P. Santangelo, the Nationals, is my guest this week. And um, I was taking some uh, additional notes on Trevor Story because now a lot of attention. Chris is going to focus on Trevor Story and his impending free agency at the conclusion of 2021. You know, do the Rockies move him? They kind of said they don't want to move him. They'd like uh, for him to be in the fold for the long term, but I'm sure there's going to be have to, you know, have to have a significant sales pitch uh, within that because whether he stays with Colorado um, or moves on, ultimately uh, he's going to command huge dollars, number one. And number two, if you are the Rockies, you can't just, you know, let him walk out the door and just get a, a draft pick for him. You, you'd like to, uh, 
if it comes to that, you'd like to be able to get some prospects back uh, if he gives you the indication he's not going to sign. Well, I got to tell you, I'm fired up to hear that podcast. I've done I've done quite a few shows with FP Santangelo from his time here in the Bay Area, and what a great guy that he is. And then, you know, free agency, as we know, it's a two-way street. You know, the players got to want to stay. The players got to want to ink up that contract. So, you know, that that's the tough thing for certain teams. And when we talk about free agency, everybody just thinks the, the teams have the power, but the, the, the players got to want to stay too. And it's reading the tea leaves, Chris, as you well know, because if, if you wait till the end, well, then the player controls everything. He can turn down your overtures and walk out the door and all you get is a compensatory pick, a supplemental uh, number one. So you really have to have a pretty good feel for what you think that player is going to do by the trade deadline, in this case of, of 2021. Um, you know, historically, the Rockies and, and under Dick Monfort, they've tried their damnedest to keep their homegrown players. Um, they, they did that with Nolan. I mean, they gave him an eight-year, $260-plus-million-dollar deal uh, with Charlie Blackman, who was a homegrown Rocky. They extended him a couple of years ago at, at more than $100 million. Uh, in the case of Trevor Story, he's been you know born and raised a Rocky, if you will. And, and I know, uh, you know Dick Monfort's very loyal uh, especially to his own guys, and I, I think desperately wants to keep him and, and have him be part of the, you know, next surge, uh, if you will, for the Rockies when it comes to being able to compete and contend for the postseason. You know, we recently had Tim Mead on from the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I think one of the highlights of your guys' season is finally Larry Walker getting inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think it's going to help Todd Helton. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand how hard it is to play in altitude. I really learned this working for the Raiders, coming to play the Broncos, and, and when you talk to Bronco people about yeah, it's, it's tough to stay healthy in altitude. And you can talk about it. You live there. It's not easy to be a, 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 a great player every day in altitude. And I'm hoping that's going to help Todd Helton long term. I, I think it will, Chris. And one of the greatest challenges is not just playing at altitude with you know less oxygen, as everybody knows, but what has been lost until recently, where I think really people have delved in deeper uh, to not only the, the, the statistics and some of the analytics, but also listening to players that have left Colorado and gone elsewhere and understanding that having to move to sea level, you know, every other week and the ball moves differently, the body feels differently. The, these are real things that players for baseball in particular, and the Rockies have to deal with that no other players in the sport have to deal with. So there are going to be significant differences between how they perform at home versus on the road. And if you look at some guys who've left, who've been upper echelon guys, Larry Walker, you mentioned, the differences between road and home are not nearly as significant when they arrive in a different city and the road numbers get raised because they're seeing the same ball movement. The body physically 
feels very similar when they're in St. Louis to moving to Chicago to playing in New York to going out west and playing as opposed to Rockies players who constantly are having to make um, physical adjustments and sight adjustments uh, week to week. So that is very real. And I think the baseball industry, especially the Hall of Fame voters, are starting to grasp that. And I agree with you a thousand percent. I've shared this on on, on several occasions. I, I did this on my podcast recently as well, that when Todd Helton retired and I would get the invariable questions. Hey, is Todd Helton a Hall of Famer? Obviously, I felt he was. Forget, forget the bias. I mean, if you look at the numbers, almost 600 doubles and, you know, the on-base percentage over 400. I mean, this guy's a, a Hall of Famer. Um, yet, I always felt you know, that he'd probably fall short because of the significant um, bias against the accomplishments at home for players who reside in Colorado. But I think the the the, the Writers are being further educated about that, and I think Walker's inclusion in his final year, and and you saw Todd jump 15%. I now think he will get in, rightfully so, whereas when he retired, um, I I wouldn't have thought that would be the case. I thought he would fall just short, unfortunately. I used to joke with him, hey, if Peyton Manning didn't go to Tennessee, could you have ended up playing in the NFL? (laughs) A lot of people forget (laughs) he's a pretty good quarterback. You know what? He's so self-deprecating. And he'd say, no, nah, I wasn't any good and this and that. And like, hold on a second. While you're playing baseball, of which he was also a second-round pick coming out of high school, so it's not like he, he came out of nowhere, um, you also were the starting quarterback in the SEC for the University of Tennessee. And had he not hurt his knee, you know, Peyton Manning never would have taken the field at starting quarterback in addition to being uh, an all-american uh baseball player um yeah he's self-deprecating but he was one hell of an athlete so they came out with a a really interesting article uh ken rosenthal and eno saris the athletic about how baseball is going to change the actual ball they're going to deaden it a little bit and then they talked about five more teams are going to put humidors in their stadium You've had one there for a long time. Just kind of take us through that process, what the humidor is like and, and really what it does to the baseball. Well, if, in, at altitude, basically, it, it makes the baseball feel the same and not lose some weight or, or become slightly smaller because it was stored outside a humidor but at altitude. So the, the humidor was placed at Coors Field in 2002, and the baseball will more closely replicate um, the feel and um, that the, the elements of the baseball, whether it was at, you know in Denver or again at St. Louis or Philadelphia or somewhere that's closer to sea level. And you know more teams are going to that. I know Arizona, Phoenix, they played a little bit of at altitude, and so. That's natural. Um, you know, what's interesting for me um, is that, you know, they talk about deadening the baseball a little bit. Everybody's up in arms, Chris, when we talk about PEDs and keeping folks out that were in some way, shape or form alleged to be involved in PEDs. That, that will get everybody enraged. But we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, mess with the, with the baseball periodically. And now they want to deaden it. My take on that is the heck with deadening it. I have no problem with home runs. Home runs are exciting. 
You know, the old Earl Weaver three-run home run, that gets everybody who's in the ballpark out of their chair, gets people fired up at home. What we need is uh, a, a changing of the philosophy a little bit that it's not home run or bust. How about getting the baseball in play more and making the game um, overall have a greater appeal as opposed to the, the three true outcomes, home run, strikeout, walk. We need to reduce the strikeouts in baseball, get the ball in play more. And, and I don't care if that's accompanied by more balls over the wall. I just want to see more action. Uh, I don't need to see the baseball necessarily deadened. Well, you're, you're, you're dead on. I mean, last year, like with the A's, we won the division. But as a team, we hit like 225. We had guys hitting 190, 210. And it was just like, oh, they'd hit some home runs, but they didn't put the ball in play. And it was just very frustrating. Hopefully uh, that is going to change for a lot of teams as we have a full season. Hey, congratulations with the podcast. We always love having you on. And I uh, can't wait to check in with you once baseball actually starts. Yeah, it's going to be fun, Chris, anytime. And, um, you know, I, I know the, uh, the Pocota with baseball perspectives came out yesterday and the Rockies uh, were listed as uh, a 60 win team, which would be the worst in, in baseball. And I, um, I'm not here to suggest they're going to be a mid nineties team. I think they're definitely in a situation where they have to rebuild, um, to, to, a, you know, a certain degree. I think they have a nice pitching step, but very quickly, the, uh, I remember it was 2018, the Rockies were, uh, predicted to win 76 or 77 games and ended up winning 92. So the game's played on the field by, uh, by real players. And uh, I look forward to watching all of that, but uh, anytime, Chris, I always appreciate it. Take care. You got it. Drew Goodman from the Colorado Rockies and everything he just said was spot on. And Pakoda, they always, every, everybody comes in low. They always come in low. They didn't predict the one year that the – was it the Dodgers or the Astros who won 107? It was the Astros. Astros. Yeah, the Dodgers the won Dodgers 106. 106. Did Pakota pick that? No, they probably had them around 88 wins. They always come in low. And they always don't give the A's love. It's amazing. Do you want to know what the A's are at right now? Uh, did they pick them uh, both years that the A's won 97 games? Did Pagoda pick that? Uh, I don't think so. Well, here, I'll give you a stat that I saw on MLB Network yesterday. From 2017 to 2019, Pagoda correctly identified 12 of the 18 division winners. They predicted one division standings correctly from one through five. That was the 2019 AL East, meaning they got, you know, the Yan you know whoever, I think what the Yankees won that year. But they predicted all that right. 32 of the 90 predicted victory totals within a margin of five games. So if you, but whatever, they have the A's this year at an incredible 80 and 82. The Angels, everyone's favorite team right now with that, with uh, I, I don't get it. With, I don't get it. With uh, they have two games under 500. With uh, Oral Hershiser and yeah. Dave Stewart and Sandy Koufax and Kershaw pitching for the Angels, they have them uh at 87 wins, 87 and 75, and then the Astros are at 93 wins. They lost George Springer, and they're going to be better this year. I don't get how that works. By the way, we work in baseball, so we can't gamble. I would bet under on both of those. Just for you people out there who like, I would bet under on both of those. 
I can't believe they got us two games under 500. Oh, it gets worse. You think the A's are bad? The White Sox, everyone's favorite to win the AL Central. How many wins do you think they have them having? 78. 83. They haven't finished behind Cleveland and Minnesota. Cleveland, who traded their best player away. But the, the, the biggest tragedy to me comes in the NL East. The Mets winning 95 games. The Washington Nationals winning 85 games. The Phillies winning 83 games. And the Atlanta Braves winning 82 games. How? How do you have them winning 82 games? They didn't lose anyone. They brought in Charlie Morton. The best team in the division. They won it three straight years. And they brought back Marcelo Zuna. I don't get how they're – and Mike Soroka is coming back from that Achilles injury. How are they only going to – how are they going to win less games? I don't understand the, the, it. The Braves literally could win the World Series. They got that much talent. Yeah, they're they're probably – if you look in the, in, in, the America, or in the National League, they're right behind the Dodgers, I think. I think they're better than the Padres. And they have the Padres at oh, – wait for it, everyone's favorite team at 96 wins. 96 wins? <laughs> yeah, 96 wins for the Padres. Oh, my God. I'm, be- I'm betting the under on that. There's no way the Padres win 96. And I'm offended that, that the Rockies get to have the worst record in baseball. No, 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 no. You're no. telling me. You're telling me. If I, if, I, if I look at the rosters, you're telling me the Padres are 16 games better than the Oakland A's? 16. If we look at the rosters. You're going to tell me full year of Chapman, full year of Olsen, Sean Murphy, one year older, Loriano, Piscotti, Andrus, hope to God, Jed Lowry. You're going to try and you're, you want to, there, I don't understand how people don't like, do they not know who Jesus Lazardo is? Do they not know who Frankie Montas is? I mean, we've got, we I'm not being a homer here. We got guys who got legit stuff. Uh, Jesus Lizardo. Do I got to bring up the Mike Fires again? Mike Fires, since he's been with the A's, is 26 and 9. Do people not know this? Are we the only people watching this thing? Apparently because, well, not just us, but if you if you follow, I saw it on Twitter, for uh, Sportsbook Futures, for people, the people to gamble. Um they actually have Jesus Lazardo listed as an AL Cy Young guy with odds. Now, it's very low on the list, but he's still a guy that's on there. I, I'm sorry. I don't see any Angels uh, pitchers on this list anywhere. Um, I don't see a, an Astro on here anywhere. Um, so, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, half, the, uh, half the White Sox rotation is on here, but they're going to finish third in the uh, AL Central. It happens every year. I'm telling you. Every – well, not every year, but most years that you'll see they'll have all the ESPN guys and all the athletic guys and all the CBS guys, and they'll pick. And they'll, you know, they'll pick the divisions. They'll pick the wild card. And none of them will pick the A's. And then we bring them on the show, and it'll be like July. And they're like, well, yeah, they're doing it again. Why does it surprise you every offseason? Why, 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 how does it surprise all the, all of these baseball experts that the A's are going to make the playoffs. Like it, it just, it, it like shocks them every year. I'm going to read this to you. Okay. It's plain and simple. Since Billy Bean took over and with a lot of help of David Force, because he's been here over 20 years, 
The A's have been to the playoffs 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2006, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2018, 2019, 2020. That's every, look at all these years they've been in the playoffs and all these years people don't pick them. It's crazy. It's it's just like it's groundhog day. Are we going to be shocked if we're sitting here in August and the A's are in first place and no one picked them to win the West? I mean, I, I, I'm i with you because I don't understand it. And, you know, I grew up on the East Coast. Everyone knows that. And, I mean, I knew the A's were good. And I'm not a national writer. The East Coast bias thing is real. I mean, it's a real thing. And Because, like, here's another example from Pakoda. They, they have the A's projected to score 761 runs, okay? They have the Cleveland Indians who traded their best player away to finish scoring one less run than the A's. The Indians' offense was historically one of the worst offenses last year in baseball. They couldn't score runs. How are they getting better? Because they signed Eddie Rosario. He's a nice player, but he's a three-true outcome guy. And that's what you're – I mean, I just don't, I don't get how they do these projections. And we brought someone on from uh, Pakota Baseball Perspectives last year to explain it, and I still, and I still don't agree with it. I, I just don't understand how you can pick these teams – to be like to have the Braves at eighty two wins and the A's at eighty and the and the White Sox at eighty three. I just don't understand it when these are the teams everyone talks about as teams that can win the World Series. I'm not taking a shot at the Giants. This is not a shot. This is just a fact. There's still these East Coast people that cover our game that go, "Hey, you always got to look out for the Giants." Giants haven't been good in years. The Giants showed Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans the door. Bye-bye, Bruce Bochy. They haven't went, went, went. Giants haven't been good in years. It's 2021. When was the last time? Was it 2015? I think it was 16. They lost the they they won the Walker game. They lost to the Cubs, I think. And then they were, but they were historically bad the second half. They were awful in 17. They won a oh, little right. run. Oh, yeah. Re- remember we had that from – okay, so, yeah, 2016 – from the All-Star break of 2016 to X amount of point. I mean, we used to do this when I was did my talk show on 95.7. The Giants were like 73 games under 500. Yeah, it was bad. So, they were 87 to 75 in 2016. Then 2017, they were 64 and 98. 2018, they were 73 and 89. And then in Boach's last year, they went 77 and 85. And then obviously last year in the 60 game season, they finished 29 and 31. They're still rebuilding, but you, I mean, I hear that all the time too. I heard it on the radio today when I was listening to, uh, well, I'm not going to throw people under the bus, but I was listening to the radio and I heard people saying, well, you know, you know, the Giants can't go into the season thinking that they're not going to fit. They could, they could. I heard someone try to make a case that you can't say that they're not going to finish behind the Padres or Dodgers in the NL West. And I thought to myself, there's no way that they're – I mean, it, not, I mean, it, baseball's a crazy sport, but I just don't see them finishing ahead of the Padres or Dodgers in that division. There's they, no way. They might not even finish ahead of the Diamondbacks. Yeah, uh, what, what's their Pakoda? Um, the San Francisco Giants currently sit at 75 and 87. Second worst in the AL or NL West behind only the Rockies are supposed to have the worst record in baseball. 
And I, I and I still don't understand how people think the Angels have pitching. I <laughs> think they have no pitching. It's just stupid. All right, coming up next, David Feldman with a little green and gold history right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, Feldy's going to join us. Are we doing a top 10 today? Uh, Not today with Feldy. Feldy wants to... Uh, more so look back on the life of Pedro Gomez. So, um, And talk about Elvis Andrews. And I'm sure uh, Jed Lowry returning as well because as soon as Jed signed for the third time with the A's, it made me think of uh, we could do a top 10 maybe next with him on the top 10 A's that have multiple stints in Oakland. Who owns the record for times coming back to the A's? They just put Ricky up there, I'm assuming, probably. Ricky's <laughs> got to be up there. I mean, Giambi came back. Kaseko came back. Dave Feldman joins us, A's historian, and not only MLB scorekeeper, uh, television producer, director. What's up, Feldy? How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you doing? Good. You know, Jed Lowry coming back for a third time. Uh, who holds the record for most times returning to the green and gold? Yeah, it's Ricky four times. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, would you lo- would you go to his baseball reference page and you look at all the teams he played for? It's like, you know, it's hard to remember Boston Red Sox Ricky Henderson or Seattle Mariner Ricky Henderson or San Diego Padre Ricky Henderson, but it's like he played for everybody. He did. He's one of the few. He played for almost every team in California, except for the Giants. Um, you know, and in most, mostly everywhere he won, everywhere he went, he won. Right? He won with the Mariners. He was in the playoffs with the Mariners. He went to the playoffs with the Mets. Obviously, won the World Series with the A's. He also won a World Series with the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, iconic moments like Joe Carter's home run to win the, the World Series in 93. Ricky Henderson's on second base. I mean, it's just it's Ricky, and he played for a long time for a lot of teams, and was always a winner. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. One of the great calls of all time in that World Series. Uh, let's just talk about some of the guys the A's have acquired. Uh, how'd you feel about the trade that went down over the weekend? I was very excited by that trade for for for, for, for a few reasons. Um, one is is the fact that you you plug the need on your team and that's the shortstop position with a guy that the A's know well, they've seen since 2009 and Elvis Andrus, who I think has a lot of game left. Yeah. He had a little bit of a down year with the injuries last year, but this is a guy who seems like he wants to be with Oakland. He was very happy where he landed. I mean, Texas has pretty much given up on him. Um, you know, they've given his position away. He didn't have a place to play uh, and to move into a place where he can be the starting shortstop. I'm sure he was thrilled with a team that he knows well as well. So I was excited by that. Now, I'm not thrilled with with giving up Chris Davis because you never want to trade away power because uh, it's so hard to obtain anyway. But Chris Davis hasn't shown this power in the last two years. There's been snippets of it, but really since running into the fence in, in Pittsburgh in 19, he hasn't been the same hitter. Not to say that he can't become that same hitter again. We just haven't seen it. 
So you're able to move him and his money. You get Elvis Andrus back. You fill shortstop. You get money back with Elvis Andrus. And now you have a position to fill on the team, DH, which you can cast a much wider net to fill that position. And it brings a lot of other players into play that you can bring in to the club. I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I And, you know, Elvis, we had him on the show. We did a special trade show on Saturday. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of athletes, and I've interviewed a lot of baseball players. That guy talked more about winning than maybe anybody I've ever interviewed. Like, like he is like, I'm coming to Oakland to win. I want to win. We were not going to win in Texas. And where I am in my career, I want to win. And, you know, baseball players – you know, you hear that in football, you hear that in basketball, you don't hear that a ton in baseball, but I just, the, the fact that this guy is, the only thing he's focused on is winning ball games. How do you not love a player like that? Yeah, and he's had a taste of winning early in his career with the Rangers, going to the World Series in 2010 and 2011, and now it's been a long time. They had a little bit of a playoff resurgence, you know, in, in the middle of the decade, but lately not so good, but once you get that taste of winning, especially when you're young and they were so close, right, in 2011, and Nelson Cruz catches that fly ball, they're the World Series champion. I mean, they were a strike away twice in that game. Um, I think that hunger is just there even more. Now we're getting to the backside of his career, that opportunities to win, they're not as many. And he looks at this A's team and he sees a team that has good bones. Even with all the players that they have lost this year in free agency, the bones of this team is there. And, and the fact that they were able to use some of this money that they've, they've saved to bring back Mike Fires, you have five dependable starters again, the bones of the team is ready to win. And I think Elvis can see that and knows this has a pretty good chance to go a long way this year. That is a great way to put it. I love it. The bones of the team are there. And we just had Jed Lowry on. He had the knee surgery. Feldy, when you look at his numbers with the A's, 271, 60 uh, home runs, 320 RBIs, an absolute extra base hitting machine in 687 games. If you can get Jed Lowry healthy and put him back in the middle of the lineup, just how do you see that for Bob Melvin? Because Bob Melvin has always been like, this guy's hitting third for me every day. It's just kind of seeing what Jed Lowry has left, right? I and mean, he's just a guy who in two years in New York got seven at bat right? 0 for 7 in his career with the Mets, eight plate appearances uh, over two seasons. So he hasn't played in two years and he's going to come in. He's going to be 37 years old. Um, you're not sure what's there. Is this the Jed Lowry that we saw from most of 2017 and 2018, who was just unbelievably productive, especially at second base, uh, showing power and clutchness? Um, or do you have a guy just older who slowed down? You don't know. That's why I actually like this deal as a minor league deal, because there's no risk. You're bringing somebody in that you know well, who knows the A's way of playing, and you're giving him a shot to prove himself, and you're really not laying anything out for that. Because if he does prove himself and is able to play, great, you're a winner. Uh, and the A's have had success in the past taking flyers on guys in this same situation. So this is, this is a win-win for everybody. If Jet Lowry can play and he can be a productive hitter, that second base position is just waiting there for him. And if not there, the DH position is also available. So where we are just a few days away from pitchers and catchers reporting on the 17th, 
what, what what's another move or or what's a part of the ball club? I, I know bullpen is, is an easy one there, but what, what do you want to see them do? I really like to see them bring in a guy who could be a DH, who could be a hitter and give you some flexibility. Um, with the money they saved with Elvis Andrus for this year, you can go out and do a one-year deal with guy. And there are guys who are out there who are available, just hitters-type guys, guys like Matt Adams, Jay Bruce. Uh, Mitch Moreland, who killed it at the Coliseum. Um, you know, Ryan Braun, if he decides he wants to play another year. Uh, even a younger guy who's out there, Nomar Mazzara, who the A's saw when he first came up with the Rangers and looked like he was going to be a really good player. And he had, a, he had a down year at the White Sox and they got rid of him. And the other name that keeps popping up to me, and you talk about taking a flyer on somebody that has minimal, minimal risk, is another ex-athletic, and that's Ioannis Cespedes. Because... If you want a DH-type player, you know, UNS has barely played over the last three years. I understand that. But in his short time with the Mets last year and those two weeks that he decided to play, he still showed pop in his bat. I wouldn't mind seeing the A take a flyer on UNSS for this. All interesting. And now we're going to get real serious here. And, you know, when someone passes away and you see so many people want to reach out and tell you why they love this man. You know, you don't really see, you know, media people really aren't stars, right? They're not, you know, the players are the stars. We just cover, we cover the players. But the amount of people that reached out everywhere for Pedro was, it's so telling of what he meant to so many people, not just at ESPN. Everywhere he went, he touched people in a way that made them love him and respect him. And I know he meant a lot to you. Uh, He's going to be missed. He left us far too early. But I thought it really shows the character of the man, the way everybody responded to his passing. Yeah, the tributes online have been just phenomenal. Uh, And everybody's story is is so similar. Um, Dealing with, with Pedro Gomez and... I mean, his passing came as an absolute shock. I mean, obviously to everybody. It just came out of nowhere. It was, it was heartbreaking and devastating. Um, and it's, you know, when I first heard about it, I got a text from Greg Papa. And Greg Papa is the, the way I met Pedro. Um, when Greg was calling the A's in the early 90s and Pedro was covering the team. Um, and he introduced me to, to Pedro. And, you know, it's just, as, as you as you've read with all these things, just how friendly and how nice and how genuine Pedro Gomez was that it was from a young age. It never changed. He was the same person when I first met him as just a nobody beat reporter for the Oakland A's as he was the last time I talked with him as a superstar ESPN, almost celebrity uh, from his, from his work. Uh, He was the same guy. He never changed. And, I mean, those early years of the 90s, I started traveling with the A's on their TV crew in 93. And uh, I didn't really know my way around traveling and going going to the different cities and being part of a, a major league traveling party. And, and Pedro helped clear the way for me. I mean, he was, he was my friend on the road. Uh, and we would go out um, almost every night those first couple of years. Uh, after the ball games and drink rolling rock beers and talk baseball and enjoy the cities. Um, 
And that was a big thing, you know, is to make sure that it wasn't always just about baseball. It was where we are. Look around. Go explore. And we had the best time going out in these cities and just exploring the cities and, and finding our way around the country that way. You know, I first got to talk to him back when I was, you want to talk about a long time ago, when I was doing the morning show with Gary Radnich on KMBR in 2001. And since obviously KMBR is the giant station, it was all about bonds and it's about bonds breaking the record and September 11th hit. And then, you know, but we used to bring Pedro on all the time because he had been a Bay Area guy and he was covering bonds on a daily basis. And he was, you know, that that was the moment that really put him on the map was. And it really kind of tells you all about Barry Bonds, because there's been quite a few people to say that wasn't the easiest beat. And if we're still looking back about what a bad guy Barry Bonds is, but it was not an easy dealing with Barry on an everyday basis was no day at the beach. No, no. And he he did it for three years. I mean, every day. You know, marking with a Barry Bond story. Uh, you know, it's interesting when when he was with the A's and Jose Canseco. Now, Pedro and Jose went to high school together, so they had sort of a different relationship. And Jose would call um, Pedro would call Jose out on his crap all the time, uh, and he, he was just great about it. And I think he brought a little bit of that to the Barry Bonds dealings, where he was just not buying Barry's attitude. He just would see through it. Uh, and I know grudgingly, because Barry did everything grudgingly, I think he kind of respected that just a bit because, one, Pedro showed up every day, and he wouldn't—he just wouldn't buy what Barry was selling. He would look through that. Yeah, I mean, you know, other than the Giants beat writers, he, yeah, he was there every single day. And, you know, that was a time where, you know, we look back, isn't it, isn't it weird how we look back, like, we knew th- we, you knew something was wrong. You know I mean these guys are getting so big. Uh, I'll never. You remember Zeke Sports Bar down the street from uh, what they call it, Oracle Park now? Remember Zeke's that was on the corner? Sure. Yeah. All right. So that's back in 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 my morning show days. We would do, we we'd go to day games, and after the show, we'd go down to Zeke's and then go to the ballpark. And when you walked into Zeke Sports Bar, you'd walk halfway down the bar, and you look to your right. There was a picture of Barry Bonds, Pittsburgh Pirate, and Bobby Bonds, who was, I want to say, probably was the Giants hitting coach at the time. That's and th- they're, they're arm in arm. And it, it, it's father-son. They look, you know, they were, they were basically the same height, the same weight. I mean, and then you'd walk down to the ballpark and look at this version of Barry Bonds, and his head's way bigger. You, you don't lift weights. You don't lift weights and your head gets bigger. I mean, it's like we knew something was wrong, but we were celebrating it. You know, McGuire and so McGuire got so big. He looked like a defensive end. We knew something was wrong, but we still had we had to play along with it. If you remember back in our old media days. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to look back now and say, well, these guys should have been talking about it and reporting on it. But the way that it was, I mean, think about 1988. Uh, the A's are in the playoffs at Fenway Park, and the crowd in right field is serenading Jose Canseco with the steroids chant. Steroids, steroids, and, and Jose's flexing out there in right field. I mean, <laughs> it's not really a secret. 
right? I mean, this is this is going on. Guys are getting bigger and stronger, and we're seeing it. And the Bonds thing with his head, uh, it is so noticeable how big he got. And then when he stopped playing baseball, how he went back to normal size, right? That doesn't happen. Right? Your head doesn't grow and then shrink. There's something going on here. Um, but it was just the, t- the times, and it's easy to look back and say well, they should have been more into it. They should have been more stories about it. But it was just so much more accepted. Um, you know, baseball started booming, right? Starting with the home run chase in 98, McGuire and Sosa, and the home run became the thing. Um, and then you became, eventually, you know, baseball decided to get involved with, with steroids and the, the banning of steroids and the Mitchell Report and everything else that came with it. But for those few years there, it was pretty much anything goes. You know, my last year at 95-7, the game, I went on a sales call in Burlingame. And we were eating on one of those streets that has the tables outside in Burlingame. And we're sitting there with two potential clients. And all of a sudden, I look up and walking down the street is Barry Bonds. No one knew, no one knew who he, he looked like he was. Looked like he looked like he was like 175 pounds. Like no one even know. I'm the only person. Think about this. He's the all-time home run leader. He's the only guy with seven MVPs. You, you could make a case he's the greatest baseball player of all time. I just did a deep dive on the Atlanta Braves. I don't know why. So I came up on YouTube and I was watching. And and you talk to Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. They'll all tell you the best guy was Barry Bonds because they battled him for years. He's walking down the street and no one recognized him. Is that crazy? Yeah. It, it, it is it is amazing the way his body changed and and I'm with those brave starters with Barry as a hitter I I never seen and I probably never will see anything even close to what Barry Bonds was able to do in the batter's box how scary he was that he would get one pitch maybe a game that he could hit and he would hit it and he hit it far uh, it was ridiculous every at bat you thought he was going to hit a home run and almost every at bat that he actually took a swing he did. Um, you talk about the best hitter in the game now might be Mike Trout, right? Arguably, Mike Trout's your best hitter. And there's no way you are walking him with the bases empty up by a run, right? That's just not going to happen. You're not going to do that. But you did that with Barry Bonds because him in the box was a run. And if you pitched to him, you were giving up a run. There's been no player ever and probably never will be like that. <laughs> All you need to do is go to his baseball reference page and look at the attentional walks. Oh, unreal, isn't it? Oh, it's it's like you can't – it's like – it's well, I'll tell you this. So, um, the day – it was the last game of the season against, uh, against the Dodgers. I was actually doing the Giants pregame show on KMBR. It's the day we started our attack on Iraq. Bombs started flying. I remember we had Peter Gammons on the show. And I remember going out. It was, was it Springer, the knuckleballer, I think was on yeah. the map. Yeah, I walked out because I was, you know, at this point, Giants are out of the playoffs. Dodgers are not in the playoffs. And, you know, we've we've started a war. So I was in this bunker that KMBR, I, I believe, still has. I'm, I haven't been there in years. Um, 
and I'm watching that. But but I walked out for his. I he had like he had the one at bat, and he hit the home run. And I'll never forget sitting there right behind home, standing right behind home plate, going, "I'm watching a guy run around the bases after his 73rd home run." <laughs> 162 games, 73 home runs. It was like it was it was so mind blowing that I was just like, I mean, you just you can't make that up. Like you go to his baseball reference page and you look at these numbers. I mean, he was great as regular Barry, but when he became Super Barry, there really hasn't been anybody as good as him. No, nowhere close. It's his it's stratomatic numbers. I just imagine what a stratomatic card looked like. Now for you. Youngsters out there, Stratomatic was a card and dice game, but you'd have a card and it would just list. His card would just be nothing but home runs, home run and walks. That's all it would be because that was his whole seasons, especially in the early 2000s. It was home run or walk. I mean, if you pitched to him and got him out, that was that was just lucky because that's how good he was. Now, I want your take on this because it's it, it shouldn't bother me because we've lived it for so many years as A's fans. But why is it that the national media, not all of them, but there's quite a few, they just act like the A's are irrelevant. And then we get into the season and the A's are in first place or they're going to be in the wild card game. And then they're like, well, Billy Bean and David Force do it again. It's like this. This is like Groundhog Day. I was looking at an article that the A's you mentioned, they've got five starters. They've got the A's rated 20th in baseball in starting rotation. It's it's like it's like no one pays attention to the process. No, it is frustrating uh, on the national level that the A's do always seem to get shortchanged. And I wish there was a reason for it. Is it because they're playing in the shadow of the Giants and they've always been? Well, I've always felt that's why in the Bay Area, on average, they get less coverage than the Giants on a Bay Area thing. Um, but nationally, that, that shouldn't really affect it, but it seems like maybe it does. I mean, this is an A's team that's gone to the playoffs three straight years, uh, you know, six times since 2012. Uh, it's pretty impressive. But the Mariners haven't been in the playoffs since 01 get more coverage than the A's do on a national level and the way they're looked at. It's just, is it the ballpark? Is there just nothing sexy about it? Is it the fact that players don't stay, that there's a lot of player movement, there's not as much consistency? I wish there was a way to put a finger on it um, because the national coverage is, is leaving a lot of people out of what a pretty good story and what a winning story it's been in Oakland. And, you, you know, this franchise historically going back to Philadelphia, right? It's always highs and lows. They're either one of the best teams in baseball or one of the worst teams in baseball. And it's been that way here in Oakland. I think that makes them more interesting personally. Uh, but maybe for whatever reason, just on a national level, they, they don't seem that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I go over it all the time. I did it earlier today. You just got to go to Wikipedia and you just read off all the years they've been in the playoffs. Um, as a longtime A's fan, and I get this on Twitter all the time because I bring up trust the process. Obviously, there hasn't been a World Series title since 89. So a lot of our younger fans, I mean, I was in high school. You were probably just out of high school. But um a lot of our younger fans have never seen the A's, you, you know, because when I was in high school, the A's were the best team by far. They were rock stars. It's Canseco. It's McGuire. Ricky shows up. It's Eck. It's Stu. It's Welch. It's all these guys, right? So I've lived it and seen it. A lot of our younger fans haven't. 
how do you respond when people go, yeah, they make the playoffs all the time, but they don't go deep in the playoffs? I say, yeah, you're right, and it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but that's what it is. It does suck because I still remember the feeling. I was at Candlestick uh, when they won the World Series in 89 and the feeling when Tony Phillips flipped the ball to Dennis Eckersley and he steps on first and he beats Brett Butler to the back and you were the, we were the world champs. Um, this just euphoric feeling that I've never felt since. Uh, not when the Warriors won the championships, which was great, but never that feeling of euphoria and a little bit of relief that they had won the World Series. It is an amazing feeling. And so badly want to get back to that feeling, to see the A's succeed in the postseason. You know, it was great to beat the White Sox and have that feeling of winning game three, winning a winner-take-all game, something they hadn't done since 1973. Uh, That was fantastic. And I want to keep this going. Uh, and it's going to take that, I think, for A's, not, not A's fans, but for the national fans to really believe in this team is to go further in the playoffs and hopefully win another World Series. Because that, That's the goal. That's why they play the game. They don't play just to make the postseason. It's to win the World Series. And, boy, to get that feeling again would be really, really special. You know, I don't, I don't want to be too big of a baseball dork, but it, it is who I am. So, I, 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 as I said, I did this deep dive in the Atlanta Braves because, you know, as a pitcher growing up, you know, Greg Maddox, I, Smoltz, Glavin. So, watching – so, MLB Network did a, did a special about the 90s Braves and the fact that they went to – they won the division 14 straight years but only one World Series – but Tom Glavin said it best, and I would say this to A's fans, and you're talking about three Hall of Famers that we're talking. Tom Glavin said, you know, we only won one. We should have probably won more. But the fact that we gave ourselves an opportunity every single year, we got a chance to play for it. I would never change a thing. So That's, yeah. a, that's baseball, right? Because the regular season, 162 games, that's the worth of a team. That proves the worth of a team. And I think winning a division more than a, than a short series just tells you how good a team really is. That is something to hang your hat on. And it, it, it shouldn't be, I think now in this expanded playoffs and more rounds, it kind of gets lost. You know, back before we went in divisions, 1969, you win the league. That was what you won the American League championship when you won the league. You won the pennant. That's what winning the pennant is. And that's kind of lost its thrill. And I don't think it should because that really proves who the best team is over 162. You know, coming up here in a few minutes is Ray Fossey. He's one of the great examples. Like, he'll tell you, every year in Cleveland, they knew they were out of it by opening day. Then he goes to the A's, and he wins two straight World Series. I mean, winning championships, it's almost like the fans, they make it out to be too easy. It's not that easy to win. It is really, really, really hard to win. It is really hard. And look, you know, look at the Dodgers. I mean, they won the NL West eight years in a row, but it took till this year, till 2020, until they actually won the World Series. It's hard. It is hard to win. A lot of things have to go right once you get in the postseason. But when you win consistently in the regular season, that will always be to me, that's the worth of your team. That tells you what type of team you have. And the A's have been a very, very good team especially starting in 2012. 
you know, the guys like Bill Russell and Tom Brady and Yogi Berra, those guys that win all these championships, they make it look easy, but it's not that easy. Hey, we always love having you on the program, and I think it was uh, very nice what you had to say about your friend, and he is going to be missed, and what a great baseball man. Be well, be safe, and uh, next time let's uh, throw out another top ten. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back to that. I appreciate letting you talk about Pedro. You will be missed. People read the, the stuff online about him. I know there was a board put up where a lot of national baseball writers and some local writers were able to tell their Pedro stories and put some pictures. And I mean, he was just, he was charismatic, just friendly, and just, just, just the best guy. Take care, my friend. All right. Thanks, Tony. Coming up next, the face of the franchise. It's a Wednesday. It's a Ray Fossey day right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. All right, Cody, hit it. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. We're not talking Gold Glove. We're talking Rawlings Gold Glove with the great Ray Fossey. What's up, Foss? Sally, how you doing, my friend? How's our good friend Cody doing? You guys doing great? Cody, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great, Foss. Uh, Jed Lowry's back for the third time, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see him You know, try to make the roster. So everything's good today. Are you shocked? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. We- you know you know it's going to happen. And you know yeah. what? Let, let's, let's just hope one thing, guys. For two years with the Mets, he didn't do anything. Let's hope he got finished with all of his bad feelings and uh, ailments, and he's okay for 2021. Because if he is, and you put Elvis Andrus and, and Jed Lowry at the top of that lineup, setting the table for the middle part, that's a pretty good lineup. And plus, w- what David Forrest and Billy Bean did in making the trade, and while, yes, I'm sure it was hard to trade to Chris Davis, but getting Elvis Andrus, who was not going to play shortstop for the Rangers, uh, you know, we talked about that, how the, the Rangers seem to be going in a different direction, kind of eliminating things that have happened in the past with regard to the American League Championship and losing twice the World Series. Ellis maybe was not going to make the, well, definitely not the starting lineup. Maybe, who knows, because uh, um, unless they did something with Odor at second, where was he going to play? So, and, and the fact that Jed Lowry, if healthy and everything works out, you have a switch hitting second baseman who's a doubles machine wow i mean that's that's a pretty good infield with everything going on with what's happened with the ball club i'd say going into 2021 it's a good club guys yeah i uh and by the way cody he's showing me on the screen he's got rolling rock from uh pennsylvania so i think i think cody's now just drinking on the job so i think he's okay Hey, you know what? He deserves it. He deserves it. All the work, all the work he puts in, I'd say he deserves whatever he wants to do. So I think that's great. Do whatever so, you want to do, Cody. So take me through, Ray, your career 
as a young guy, a guy in your prime, and because I'm thinking about this with Jed Lowry, as you get older, you know, you get into your 30s, because we all know the, the, our, our bodies change as men. We change how strong we are, how fast we are. What was that like from young to your prime to you got older? Well, let's take into consideration uh, being the, at the position I was in as a catcher, that took its toll. And so, uh, again, I, I remember beating out infield ground balls with certain guys when I was young and had the young legs and until the thunder thighs developed, you know, from catching every day. You know, those things change just overall. But, you know, playing at second base, I think from Jed Lowry's standpoint, and I, I'm sure you're referring to him, because I would think monetarily he's set because he got a very good contract with the Mets. Unfortunately, because of injuries, could not play. So what he's playing for right now, I would think, is pride. If he wants to take a minor league contract with a spring training invite, chance to make the ball club, this becomes a pride thing. And I would hope that for Jed Lowry, it's a matter of, okay, I had a couple years in which I couldn't play because of injury. I want to prove that I can and go out on a positive note. And I think that's the difference in the, in the type of position or the position you play. Again, for me as a catcher, as time went on, the body wore down, different injuries. And, you know, uh, what I try to tell young players, if you have an injury, take the time, get well, because if you try to play through injuries, you're going to feel it the older you get. I'm feeling it now uh, with the pain, et cetera. But, but the bottom line, I, the standpoint, even, even Elvis Andrus, I, I like the fact of what he said about playing beside uh, Matt Chapman and joining a ball club that, of course, being in the, in the same division, playing 19 times under normal circumstances. And, and I just hope, and I was thinking as soon as he was acquired by the athletics, you remember when he would show up on a, on a cool evening, which was comfortable from our standpoint, but he would have, he would have a cap with the earmuffs on. I'm going, Elvis, what are you doing, man? This, this is California weather. You know, I'm sure he's accustomed to playing a hundred degree weather in Texas, but I, you know, maybe it's going to be like Mark Canna wearing that, that mask all the time uh, before masks were, required to be worn by, by players after last year or during last year. But, uh, you know, Elvis, I remember that. But I also remember he's an excellent shortstop defensively, one of the best at going to the opposite field. He has speed. So, again, combining those two different situations, but I think similar in the sense that both want to show, in the case of Elvis Andrus showing the Texas Rangers, you know, you gave up on me, and I'm going to show you that I can still play. And if this full season is played out 19 games, I think you're going to see Elvis Andrews having some good games against his former team. And from Jed Lowry's standpoint, let's just hope he's healthy, not knowing who could step in there. But bottom line, if he is healthy and Jed can play second base without any limitations, that's going to be a great double play combination. And with Ole at first and Chapman at third, they're going to regain. I still can't believe they didn't win gold gloves, you know, at least that. Uh, but but still, I, I'd say that's going to be a dynamite infield, which is great for the pitchers. And then you combine the outfield, their ability to run down fly balls. And, you know, let's not forget, too, I think, uh, you know, Chris Davis, unfortunately, kind of a one-dimensional player as a designated hitter. I think what this does, and again, looking at it from outside, and I don't know what David Force has said or Billy Bean or Bob Melvin, but I think it gives the A's an, a, a chance to, the ability to rotate the designated hitter. You know, if you can get a guy off his feet 
and let him get four at-bats because he's swinging the bat well but not having to go out on the field, I think that makes him a better player, enables him to play a lot more than maybe he normally would. So I think it's a win-win for the athletics. You were on the radio at the time because it was a national game. It's A's-Padres, and that's when they mic'd up Fernando Tatis. It was a Saturday game, and they mar- and they mic'd up Mar, uh, mar- Canna. And Mark right. Canna said on the national broadcast, Foss, he loves DHing. All you do is hit. Yep. I, I, I look at this situation to where I, I don't want to hear any excuses why Mark Canna can't. Mark Canna's got to play every game. Mark Canna's yep. got to hit. And and now this allows you can make Mark Canna. You can put him back in the outfield. He can play center, right, left. But now you can get him at bats every day for sure with the DH position. And, you know, there's another guy. I agree with you with regard to Mark Canna. But there's another guy named Chad Pender who can play defense, who's excellent at a lot of different positions like Mark Canna. Although, you know, Mark plays first base from Pender's standpoint, he can play other positions. Now, all of a sudden, he's not needed to play as much. Maybe it's second, depending on what happens with Jed Lowry. But I agree with you because with Piscotty and right, Laurie Arnold in center, and now you have the mix and match in left field. And let's say Mark Canna plays, Pender can DH or vice versa, or whomever else is on the roster. But no, I, I think it's a, it's, I think it's definitely a win-win because you're getting away from the designated hitter being that's his only position, and and I think you're going to see more and more of that. I mean, you have a few, but with Nelson Cruz, uh, David Ortiz is retired, and and Edgar Martinez is retired in the Hall of Fame, but you're getting fewer and fewer. And it was my understanding that as long as there was a particular player who was uh, just a designated hitter, that rule or at least the DH would always be part of the game. Now, I think it's going to be a part of all of baseball eventually, if not sooner than later, and maybe even for this year because of what happened last year. And I can't believe they didn't carry it forward into 21, especially if they're thinking about it for 22. Why would you have that year lapse, you know, to let pitchers go back? And, and you know, you've said it before. You said it last week and before. If, if you've got pitchers and players playing 60 games, picture a pitcher in the National League having to hit having not put a bat in his hand for two years, now he has to run the bases. He has to learn to bunt all over again. Because I'm sure during last year in the regulated schedule, when guys went out to take batting practice, pitchers weren't out there earlier, early in, uh, before the regular BP, bunting and swinging and doing those things. So they would be just like the American League players. So I, I think that's something that might change between now and opening day. And if it does, I think it's great. You know, I, I, I've interviewed Mike Fires a couple times. I, I, I don't have a relationship with him. I think we I, I had a conversation with him on the bus in Japan when we had one event. I mean, but I really haven't talked to him all that much. So my opinion is purely based off of performance. It's not like I'm buddies with him, right? I just right. I, I don't think people understand Mike Fires, all he does is win games for the A's. He's dominant. Right. He's dominant at home. His overall record is twenty-six and nine. People yeah. try to downplay it all the time, and I'm like, "Do you understand when Mike Fires takes the mound for the A's, especially at the Coliseum, the team wins the game?" Exactly. Exactly right. I agree a hundred percent. And our good friend Cody, who's the master at pulling up different things, and maybe before this conversation ends tell us how many pitchers in Major League Baseball history have multiple no-hitters under their belt. I mean, one is great, but he has two. 
He had one when he pitched for, for the Astros and one, of course, against the Reds uh, when he was with the Athletics. But, you know, that's unheard of. If you think about it, perfect games, you know, there's so few, about 23, I think. But you're looking at pitchers with multiple no-hitters. He has the delivery that's deceiving, put it that way. He's not overpowering with his fastball. He can drop a curveball in, and he can throw a cutter. He can throw different pitches and throw anything at any time. Plus, you know what, Tony? He's a veteran. He knows how to pitch. And I couldn't think of anybody better. And I'm sure the young kids and Manaya and uh, Lazardo and Puff, when he is pitching, uh, different guys, um, Frankie Montas. I mean, you're looking at a young pitching staff. Now you have the veteran on the staff. You can't tell me that those guys, when they're not pitching, they're huddled together and they're picking the brain of Mike Fires just to find out what to do in certain situations, how he does it. And they watch him intently whenever he's on the mound. But you're right. At the Coliseum, he's a fly ball pitcher, which I don't think really should take away from his ability to pitch on the road in parts that maybe are conducive to the long ball. And he being a fly ball pitcher might create home runs. But the bottom line, he knows how to pitch. And, and I'll be honest with you, in, in 18 and 19, when he didn't pitch in postseason, I, I thought, wow, you know, here you have a veteran. Um, you know, and, and probably not one that can come out of the bullpen. So he can start and does start very well. And you could run with him as long as you can bring somebody else out of the bullpen, especially in postseason. Not like Rick Retoria did last year in game three of the, the wild card game where I think he, he'd pull somebody out of the stands if they had fans, you know, to be able to, to pitch in that game, you know. But, uh, but I think Mike Fires is good. And, and what do you think about um, – you know, of course, re-signing with the Athletics, I think we're all happy, but the first thing that came up, but maybe other clubs didn't want to sign him because of what happened with the Astros. What did you think about that? Yeah, I, I, that's just dumb business. If that's I agree. Case, that is just, I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I, I thought about you last night, Foss, because I, 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 I did this, this deep dive on YouTube about the Atlanta Braves and their run. And I thought it was so funny. John Smoltz said, because he was asked, like, if the ball was scuffed, would you utilize that? And he started, <laughs> and he started talking about it. He goes, there was one time he had this, like, perfect scuff ball, and it got hit to Chipper Jones, and Chipper Jones threw it into the stands. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? I know, I know. But you know what? If you think about it, if there is a scuffed baseball, watch what a pitcher does every time he gets one, throws it out. They don't know what to do with it. Oh. And, and John Smoke, I mean, I saw guys do it intentionally. I caught a pitcher who, you know, we talked about when Greg Nettles would pick up the ball at third base in Cleveland in 1972, he'd have to get the dry side, you know, and uh, to make sure he didn't throw it in the stands. But you know, it, it, there's something to be said about what a pitcher can do with a baseball. You see them looking at the ball, and if they see there is a little scuff on there, it can be the, the most minute uh, scuff there is, and it can do amazing things with the resistance of the wind and, and throwing the ball to the plate. But you know what? Your catcher has to know that he's throwing it also. Because let, let's say I call for a four-seam fastball outside corner, and all of a sudden this ball comes in and it's moving all over the place. And especially if there's a runner at first base that he might be stealing, you're expecting a four-seam fastball, and here comes this thing moving. You know, it, it's totally different than what can happen if, if you're expecting one pitch and getting another. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a lost art, but I'm not surprised that Chipper got the wrong side of it and ball took off on him. And, 
you know, I, I'm shocked or not shocked, but I'm not, I'm not surprised that, that something like that happened, but you know what? It, it's like the old thing going about, um, you know, some pitchers use pine tar to get a better grip. Well, you know, that's, I've, I've heard hitters say, I'd rather have a pitcher have a good grip so he knows where the ball is going versus not. But you take somebody to control a, 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 a scuffed baseball. Remember when Mike Scott used to do it with huh. Houston Astros? <laughs> and, you know, they're like, and, and how about um, um, Steve Palermo when he went to the mound with uh, the late Joe Negro, and all of a sudden this, this file comes flying out of his hand into the ground and you know here's here's Palermo with his head kind of turning and seeing this thing landing on the grass he said oh you know I throw a knuckleball I want to keep my nails sharp oh yeah <laughs> so I mean you know guys guys do what they can you know you, you look on gloves and different things like that you know I, I told this story maybe before about a pitcher I caught that had a hacksaw blade in the, in the first finger of his glove I said what are you doing and, you know, he wasn't pitching that much anyway. But when he did, and I happened to be behind the plate, and I saw him do that, and it, it just it cut the cowhide. I mean, it just completely cut it in, in like a, a field of dreams where he hits the ball and the cover comes off. I thought the whole cover was coming off this baseball. But, you know, pitchers who knew what to do with the baseballs, my goodness, they could, they could make it dance like a wiffle ball. And, of course, it, it enabled you to do things that normally you would not be able to do as a pitcher. So I never threw a knuckle curveball, which for people out there is you take your index finger and you stick your nail into the ball. Um, right. But when I got a scuffed ball, I would, I would, I would immediately go to a knuckle curve because I could dig my, I could dig my fingernail into the ball and it made it spin. So the, as we talk about today about spin rate, if you can actually get inside the ball with your nail of your index finger your middle fingers yeah. on the seam, you can make that ball dance. I mean, it spins. So if I ever got a scuff ball, all of a sudden, Foss, I now had a knuckle curve. Exactly. No, and that's true. And, and you know, the misconception about the, the knuckle curve or even the knuckle ball, people think that it's the knuckles, but it's actually the fingernails that dig into the baseball. But, you know, the baseballs the last year or so have been so hard. Um, sometimes the guys are going the horseshoe part on the leather, not the seams and try to dig in for a knuckleball or any sort of a pitch. They couldn't because it was so hard. And now I just read recently that they're going to be doing something with the baseballs to maybe take away the, the launching and the home runs. Uh, I, I can't believe that's going to happen because you're still going to have guys swinging the way they swing with the uppercut and the launch angle and all those things. But, but no, there, there's an art to pitching. And, man, if you can do it and get away with it, and it's not a matter of, well, Sure, it's it's kind of game in the game a little bit, but uh, but it, it's kind of fun to watch it. And you know, I remember our old Padma saying, "Can you catch it?" And here it comes, you know. And 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 you better know it's coming. You better know these specialty pitches are coming because if you don't, you're going to look like a fool running back to the backstop to pick it up. Uh, Cody has your information, Ray. Yep, uh, Ray. It's 35 different pitches are thrown multiple no hitters in Major League Baseball history. That's it. That's it. And, and you realize that the, the A's had two in 19 in Homer Bailey and, and Mike Fires, two on the same team with two each. And then you have Nolan with seven and what Koufax with five, including a perfect game, something like that, four or five. Yeah, he has. But, Koufax has four. I have the list right in front of me. I'll just give you a couple. Oh, four. Of, couple four? Koufax, yeah, Koufax only had four. One of them was a perfect game. Verl <laughs> Verlander has three. Uh, some guy named Bob Feller has three. 
some old guy named Cy Young has three. Um, mm. And then fire. Then there's one other guy with three, Larry Corcoran, who had three. And then Corcoran. Corcoran and then Fires, Arietta, Scherzer. There's a bunch of guys that have two. Tim Lincecum, Homer Bailey, yeah. Roy Holiday. Holiday so, was a perfect game as well. We've been playing. We've been playing big league baseball for what 140 something years. Yep, you're right. And there's only 35 guys that have multiple no hitters. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's an amazing stat. I knew it was not that many, and I knew when the A's had Homer Bailey and Mike Fires, they had two of a very short list of guys with multiple no hitters. But uh, no, it's it's something special. But you know. You you said Koufax only four. You think of Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan, two pitchers that whenever they were scheduled to pitch, you went to the park expecting that they could do something special, right? Like pitch a no hitter. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things that I know as a player against, I never faced Koufax um, during the regular season or any time. I can't remember if I faced him. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I, I think, uh, I can't remember who was pitching for the Dodgers when I was in spring training in Tucson, but uh, but as far as uh, you know, facing Nolan Ryan, I would tip my cap. I'd say, dear God, let me go comfortable. Oh, for four, just don't hurt me. No, you know, no, I'll get the guy. Oh, Nolan Ryan, stop it. We yeah, already. Well, I, you I, I know, I know that. I know that if, if I owned him, it's because I was scared to death, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, 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 if I if I if I saw off, off Nolan Ryan. But I tell you, Tommy, if I saw a ball coming at my head, somebody said, did you see the spin of the curveball? Why would you duck out of the way? I said, because I saw it coming at my head. I didn't want to take a chance. And I said, I'll, I'll dust myself off and go back to the dugout, just happy that I got out of the way of a curveball that split the heart of the plate. That's fine. I don't care. Because as hard as he threw, uh, I mean, he, he threw an 85-mile-an-hour first pitch. Did you see that recently where he's like 60, well, I think he's 70, 68, 70 or something like through the ceremony of first pitch, throw at 85. Guys would love to throw at 85 on our fastball, and he's doing it at that age. So, no, he, he was special. But, uh, you know, it's uh, – what, what, how many uh, perfect games, uh, Cody? I think 23 because it was a long period of time before any, and then all of a sudden between Burley and, and Halliday, um, Dallas um, – boy, it just seemed like her about – uh, yeah, Felix and Andy. It's, 20, it's like 20, it's 23 perfect games in yeah. Major League yeah, Baseball history. 23. And you're selling yourself short, Foss, against Nolan Ryan. You owned a 333 batting average and an 899 OPS. Those are Hall of Fame numbers against Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan. Him, right? <laughs> yeah. well, well, that's why he was drafted after me, huh? Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get Nolan on the show and be like, man, Ray Fossey wore you out, Nolan. But but you know what? If If you ever do, you ask him. Did you ever drop down and throw sidearm? And he hit because you. Because he, he hit me one time. He only did it one time and he hit me. Oh, gosh. Oh, and I'm saying, why? Why? Why did you do that? Just throw it over. So, anyway, but uh, I don't know. It, it's just, it's such a great game. But, but you know, back to your, your original statement, I would love to see you pitch because, um, you know, just being creative, innovative on the mound, you know, looking at the baseball, seeing a scuff, saying, yeah, I can make it work. You know, those things are good. You know, that, that's, that's good stuff because that's old school. That, that's, making, that's making pitching at its best. Let, let, let me give you my kind of Nolan Ryan story. So John Lynch, who just got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, 
and yep. runs the 49ers. You, did you know that he's the first guy to ever throw a pitch for the Marlins in double you know, I think I, I think I heard you say that. I, yeah. I heard you say that. Great, great knowledge, yes. So, yeah, so he was originally a quarterback, uh, played baseball at Stanford, but he ended up being a great safety, and the rest is history. In a Palomino game in high school, so I'm one year young. John was a senior. I was a junior. He threw mid-90s. He dotted me in the back. And (laughs) I dropped. It it, it hurt so bad. I had this bruise on my back for like three weeks. So I I think about all the bruises you got as a catcher, and then you get hit by Nolan. I mean, if you got hit by Nolan Ryan, that that's going to leave a mark that's going to be there for a while. Well, uh, first of all, my heart wouldn't stop beating. It's you know 130 minutes uh, I've had beats a minute for a long time because I mean I'm on I'm on my back and he said you y'all right there, partner? <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, I'll never was forget this, that. Was this when he was with the Angels? Yeah, beautiful sunny afternoon, and the amazing thing that was in the year at 73-74. And I asked him about it in 1987. For those who don't remember me talking about it, so we fast forward. I'm broadcasting. He's still pitching in '87, and I say, "Hey, you threw one time," and he started laughing. I said, "What? What's the matter?" I said, "You know, you hit me." He says, "Yeah." Somebody asked me. He says, "Why don't you ever change your delivery and drop down towards sidearm?" He said, "I did it one time," and I said, "Why me? You know, why me?" But he did it to me and never did it again. So. Uh, and we still chuckle about it. And when I see him with, with now with the Texas Rangers or someplace in, in Texas, where, you know, he looks at me, he'll give that, that grin. You know, I, it, it's, it's not the grin that uh, Robin Ventura saw when he charged the mound and said, what am I doing? You know, when he hit him, he took one for the league, maybe all of baseball. And as Robin was going to the mound and Nolan got him in a, in a headlock like he did would do with a steer and wrap him up and started giving the noogies, you know, but, but now he, he was a tough pitcher and uh, uh, just, just one that I, I swear you just never wanted to feel comfortable in an at bat. That's why I thought, I mean, seven no hitters. I'm not surprised um, because I don't know that there was ever a hitter and I don't care what my average was against him because I was never comfortable in it at bat against him just because he not only threw hard, but he grunted when he did. And that made it even worse because you would see him release the ball. And then before the ball got the plate, this muffled grunt, you know, would, would come out and you're, you're hearing that and here's the baseball. And I mean, it's on you in a heartbeat just because of how hard he threw, but just a tremendous pitcher and, you know, a great person on top of it. I think that's the main thing. Well, I'll tell you what, Foss, you know, not only does he have the most no hitters, he has the most one hitters. That's, he has the most right. two hitters. I mean, this guy, you know, you go back. I, I, I always thought, like, if you took Nolan Ryan and you think about how long he played, well, I, we looked it up one time. What was it, Cody, 26 or 27 years? Uh, I actually it, have it in front of me right now. Give me one second because I'm trying to find who hit the best against him in his career. Nolan in his career played, yeah, 27 years. Okay, so wow. let's let's say, Ray, he played that whole time with the A's. So <laughs> just, just think about that. Because he his teams were terrible. His Mets teams, yeah. like when the Mets, when he was on the Miracle Mets and won the World Series, he was just a kid. His right. his Angel teams were terrible. The majority of his Astro teams, they were at some years. They were some postseason. His Ranger teams were bad. 
So if you would have took Nolan Ryan 27 years and said, all right, he's playing on the A's the whole time, he would have got the run through the 70s that you guys had. He would have got the Billy Martin. He then would have got the late 80s, Tony LaRussa, and you're going to the playoffs every year. Nolan Ryan yeah. probably won well over 400 games if he would have played his whole career with the A's. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And I think I think you're exactly right because he would have had the offense behind him, the defense, the defense especially. Of course, he didn't need a lot when he's striking out 15 a game. But but uh, but still, excellent defense and, and pitching, which, of course, we've talked about what Dick Williams said and it continued on through with uh, Tony Russa in, in those years and Billy Martin. But, uh, you know, and I think a lot would have changed, too, for that period of time in which it was kind of a, a dead area. Um, you know, if the Hawk family had purchased the club, and kept it together with Nolan there at the time. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. But unfortunately, there's some pretty good players that left the A's during that period of time um, when when Charlie sold the club or before he sold the club to the Haas family. But, you know, he, he's just one of those pitchers that, you know, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, the late Don Sutton and Gaylord Perry and how many years they pitched. Well, you know, of course they won that many games. But Nolan Ryan, I think he walked off the mound in Seattle's the old kingdom when he tore his arm and that would be in his 27th year made a, his final pitch, I think was 98 miles per hour in his mid forties. He walked off the mound. He knew he'd torn up his arm and he'd never pitch again. And that was it. So, you know, an incredible, he was a specimen and he had pitched a no hitter to be on the bike after the game. And the people reporters would have to wait until he got off the bike. He, he was a, he was a physical fitness nut when it came to preparing himself and well before long before what guys do now um, with regard to conditioning and things like that. Uh, he did it on his own. And I think that's what enabled him to have the type of arm he did. He had very strong legs and pitched just unbelievably. But uh, it's not many places. Well, I can't think of many players that have the number retired in three places. And uh, he has them retired, I think, in three. Well, Houston, Arlington, uh, Houston. Uh, the Rangers and the Angels. And if he'd stayed with the Mets any longer, he probably would have had him retired there as well. But, yeah, no, because just... for me as a kid, like I don't remember him as an Angel, but when, when, when I've been with the team and we go down there, uh, they have all kinds of Nolan Ryan stuff, and you go, God, I don't even remember that. But, yeah, he was an Angel. He had – I mean, that's when he's striking out like 370 guys a year yeah. with the Angels. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a few of those, but I I, I remember when uh, Bobby Valentine had restaurants in, in uh, Arlington, Texas, when he managed there, and uh, I think it was called Bobby V's or something like that, but he had a whole wall of Nolan Ryan strikeout victims in baseball cards. Can you imagine how many cards were up there? Oh. And, you know, when he, when he struck out Ricky for number 5,000, of course, we were there when it happened, and... Uh, you know, he's just no big deal. But I think the most amazing thing about Nolan Ryan, seven no-hitters, yes, seven different catchers. Can you imagine that? Having a different catcher for every no-hitter. It's like, okay, I'm going to spread it around. And he did. But seven different catchers. Actually, the most, the, the, the most amazing thing is what you're telling me. I'm looking it up right now. He's 74 years old and can still throw 85 miles an hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, That's exactly. Amazing. <laughs> uh, it, it's like the late Ted Williams. Somebody asked him. He said, uh, uh, "If you were playing, uh, what do you think you would hit?" He says, "I don't know, maybe three ten. He says, "You were, 
Yeah, Paul Hunter one year, he says, yeah, but I'm 70 years old now. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing. You know, when you get up in years, you, you can you can still do it. But no, it's a, some great history of the game and Nolan Ryan right there, right there in the midst of it, no doubt. It's 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 watching that Braves thing. Going back to that, uh, you know, three Hall of Famers and Maddox, Smoltz, and and yeah. and Kevin, and they're all like, you just couldn't get Tony Gwynn out. You just can't get him out. Yeah. Like they just they just said, you know what? Just keep him to a single and deal with whoever's coming up next. That he's going because yeah. he hit almost. I want to say he hit almost four hundred against all those guys. Like he owned wow. those guys. Like he owned Maddox. Like he's like one of the only guys to own Maddox. But they're like, yeah, that's right. but they they said it. They're like, hey, you know what? Just just he's gonna get it. He he's gonna get his. Just make sure it's not a double and keep it to a single. Yeah, yeah, and and it'd be that what five and a half old left field, just punch <laughs> it through there. <laughs> you know, he he was he was outstanding. He was great. He was great. Hey Ray, I, 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 you realize next ahead. week when we talk, pitchers and catchers report. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That's so great to think about that. I, I just, uh, I just can't imagine. It's uh, it's all the protocols that came out, and uh, you know, I don't know what we'll be able to do, but just the fact that they'll be out on the field uh, reporting and uh, great Mickey Morbido's getting everybody in in place right now to travel in and, and get set up. So no, it's going to be great. It's going to be outstanding, and uh, you know, just can't wait. And and I think it's going to be a marvelous season. I think we're hearing more and more of. Uh, the COVID cases dropping, especially I'm hearing in Arizona that, you know, they're dropping a lot quickly. So let's just hope that it continues throughout the season, get fans back in the stands because they are the staple for the Oakland athletics. And I, again, going back to what we originally started talking about, I think this is going to be a good season. It's going to be a different type of a team. There's still going to be power, uh, but you know, you, you, you're going to be able to enjoy a very good team, once again, put together by David Forster and Billy Bean and the A's baseball operations people to make it competitive. And other teams are, are helping themselves, but I don't think any team helps themselves any better and any more than the Oakland A's do every offseason because inevitably they're going to lose some players and some tough trades have to be made in the case of Chris Davis. But, um, you know, reading what he said about a change of scenery that happened in Oakland, and other than the 19 games, the A's played the Texas Rangers. We hope for the best for him against the rest of the league and throughout baseball. But uh, I think Elvis Andrus is going to fit in perfectly. He loves to play the game, plays every day. And it'll be just like Marcus Simeon when it comes to that. Well, Ray, I can speak for the A's fan base, and we don't tell each other enough. We love you. The A's fan base loves yeah. you. And, and we miss you, and we haven't seen you in a long time. But uh, just be safe, be well, and I can't wait till uh, – you you, you you give me that handshake where you just crush my hand. I can't wait. <laughs> listen, let's just, I, I agree. I mean, listen, baseball, it, it's it's a wonderful game. And uh, the, the fans in Oakland are tremendous. The cardboard cutouts are great. But uh, the bottom line, baseball, having fans in the stands. And, and, you know, Elvis Andrews talked about that. How about that? You know, visiting player, you don't hear a lot of players talking about it. They probably are more disgusted than anything, but here's a player who's acquired by the athletics. And what does he talk about? What, what are they going to do for a poster for me? And the fans, they're into the game all the time. That says a lot about what the fans in Oakland mean to not only their own players, but how much it affects or even impresses the visiting players when they come into town to play against the athletics. I think it's great. All right, Ray, be, uh, be well. We'll talk to you next week. 
You're the best, my friend. Cody, the best to you. And uh, that's why I keep throwing those things out there because I know, I know, Cody, you, you've got the, all the information always ready to give to us. Uh, that's why I, I throw it out there knowing you're going to be able to come up with it. So you guys continue doing a great job. Take care, Ray. All right, Tony. The great Ray Fossey. Uh, you mentioned Tony Gwynn and his career versus uh, the big three in Atlanta. Do you want to hear how well he did? Uh, owned, I, I, owned John owned Smoltz. Him. Owned John Smoltz, a career 462 hitter. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, really? That was only 65 at-bats. Uh, and now in 91 at-bats against uh, my favorite pitcher and a guy I think is the greatest pitcher Wait, of all time. 462 against John Smoltz? That's correct. Two two homers, 12 RBIs, and a 1,200. Right. What is he against Maddox? Uh, just a lousy 429 versus Maddox in his career. I, I'm selling Tony Gwynn short, by the way. I said it was like around 400. It's well over. All right. What, now, now left on left, though, is Glavin. 312. Jesus. Oh, and then he hit 302 versus Nolan Ryan. <laughs> hey, I, I'm just going to tell you this. My favorite baseball player of all time will never change. My favorite baseball player ever was George Brett. I love George. Still to the I to this day. But I grew up in San Diego. I grew up watching Tony Gwynn's entire career. And, you know, I've talked about my grandfather. My grandfather managed the Padres at one point when they're in the Pacific Coast League, and we always had tickets. It is rare that you ever went to a game and Tony Gwynn didn't get a hit. Now, he didn't hit a ton of home runs. He was a different type of player for that era. But if you just go look at Tony Gwynn's career, all he did was hit. And he was, here's a little trivia question for you. He's the only player. Now, has things changed? I don't think so. But do you realize he's the only player to get drafted in two sports by two teams in the same town? A lot of people don't realize Tony Gwynn is the he. I, I don't know if he still is, but he was the all-time assist leader at San Diego State for hoops. Tony Gwynn was drafted by the Padres and the Clippers in the same year when the Clippers were in San Diego. He was a great athlete. Now, obviously, he ballooned up as he got older, but Tony Gwynn, especially a young Gwynn, stole bases, but he ripped every. You couldn't get him out. Him and Wade Boggs, you couldn't get him out. And George Brett was that. George Brett won a batting title in three different decades. How about this for Nolan Ryan, by the way? So Nolan Ryan has the most no-hitters. He has the most one-hitters, 12, uh, tied with Bob Feller. And then he's got the most two-hitters. He threw 18 two-hitters. It's a man, like Nolan Ryan's career, it's like, you just can't match it. Uh, there's like, there's no one who's ever going to match this career. Like, it, it's just, I, he's got 5,714 career strikeouts. Randy Johnson, who is one of the most feared, pit, wouldn't you say, Cody, Hall of Famer, 300-game winner, but literally one of the most feared pitchers of all time. Oh, absolutely. He's 839 strikeouts behind Nolan Ryan. That's insane. That's crazy. Just like people with Randy Johnson, quickly, you mentioned the trivia question. It's like asking people, 
who did Randy Johnson win his 300th game with? Because, you know, people probably won't remember he pitched for the Giants at the end of his career and won his 300th game. George Brett, how many career hits uh, does George Brett have against Nolan Ryan? Just take a guess. Not George Brett did not fare well against Nolan Ryan. Actually, he actually has the most career hits versus Nolan Ryan out of any player. Because um, they went in the Hall of Fame together, and George was like, "Yeah, I was." I mean, he did, he hit like two sixty against him or something like that. Two eighty seven, uh, seven forty OPS, but he has twenty nine hits. That's one more than Rod Carew had against Nolan Ryan. So that's the most all time versus him. Can you guess who has the most home runs versus Nolan Ryan? Though, not a Hall of Famer. I mean, I, he played for twenty seven years. I mean, I, I have no clue. Be a Giants legend Will Clark was six, and then Mike wow. Schmidt. Mike Schmidt has five, and Andre Dawson has four, and some Yastrzemski guy from the Red Sox had uh, four as well. So Nolan Ryan is one of only three players to have his number retired with three teams, as Ray said: Anaheim, Texas, and Houston. Now, obviously, one's Jackie Robinson. His is retired around the league. The other is Frank Robinson. And I'm trying to think, all right, Baltimore, Cincinnati, where else was his number retired? So, uh, let me see. Nolan Ryan is one of only 29 players in baseball history to have appeared in a major league game in four different decades. (laughs) Uh, Cleveland, by the way, for Frank Robinson. His number 20 was retired by the Indians in 2017. Four, Dick, can you imagine playing in four decades? What, the NBA equivalent that we've seen recently is Vince Carter has done it, but he's not the same tier as Nolan Ryan. But, yeah, I mean, that's, ridi- that's ridiculous. But, a great career, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah, I Vince mean. Carter. Vince Carter's retired, I think, what, last year before the, the shutdown of the NBA, so he went through four different decades. Uh, that's just crazy with Nolan Ryan. Kind of like how the Giants have won – the New York football Giants have won a, a Super Bowl in four straight decades. Vince Carter played in four decades? So you figure he played in the 90s, the 2000s, the 10, and, and – uh, He would add a bit because he came out of North Carolina. 98 was his first year. So the 90s, uh, okay. the 2000s, the 2010s, and he played in 2020 last year. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> And he went from being the guy that just dunked all the time and was a highlight guy to being a three-point shooter and turned himself into a jump shooter. I mean, Tom Brady was on boats today. They had their boat parade in Tampa. Tom Brady is trying to play football, like, after 45. He's on three decades right now. I mean, I George Blanda, I get it. But Tom Brady is a five-time Super Bowl MVP. He's played in ten Super Bowls. And he's going to keep going. It's insane. Cody, Tom Brady, I'm only five years older than he is. Think about that. And he's won, 10, and he's won uh, seven I mean, Super really, Bowls. I want, I, everybody, I want you to think about that. He's, he's 43, right? Yes, he's 43. I'm 48. Tom Brady is not that much younger than me, and he's playing in the Super Bowl, I can barely play 18 holes of golf. Well, apparently Brady's not good at holding his alcohol because there's a video going around that ESPN sent out of Gronk having to carry him out, carrying him from when they got off the boat because they did a boat parade. Gronk's carrying Brady's like barely able to walk. He's stumbling all over the place. Did you see earlier he threw the Lombardi trophy from one boat to the other to Gronk? I'm like, 
that they are having the time of their lives in in Florida right now, celebrating that Super Bowl on the on the in the uh, ocean or bay or wherever they're at. TB12, Matt's in the Gulf. TB12. Whether you like him or not, and I know as Raider fans, we don't. Whether you like him or not, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's that's where, like, when you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame and you realize how much the Yankees used to win, like, it's crazy. And they got those charm bra- bracelets because my grandmother had one. But it's, you know, for the World Series and the All-Star Games my grandfather played in. These Yankee wives, charm bracelets, these guys were in the World Series and they were All-Stars every year. Every year. It's amazing how much the Yankees won. It's amazing how much the Celtics won. Uh, The Montreal Canadiens, the Lakers, UCLA basketball. These are true dynasties. True dynasties. Not these. We have a lot of phony dynasties. There's, There's been guys who played on real dynasties. I mean, the Celtics won eight straight, 11 out of 13. That's a dynasty. That's just that's just dominance year after year after year. The fact that Tom Brady has played in 10 of the 55 Super Bowls is insane. We thought Bradshaw and Montana, right, playing in four. Oh, my God. He's blown that away. Never would have thought that would have happened, ever. To have someone playing that many championship games in the most grueling sport that we have. It's incredible. So we'll show, that's why we, we honor the 70s A's team so much for winning three straight World Series because we have seen that it's hard to do. Yeah, the Yankees did it, but no one's done it since. There hasn't been a repeat champion in the National League since the team that won the next years after the A's, the, the Big Red Machine Reds. So, I mean, it, it shows you that um, how hard it is when these championships and Brady's won seven Super Bowls and five MVPs. The A's won three straight and the Yankees won three straight at the end of the, the 90s. But, uh, I mean, maybe we'll see the Dodgers do it. Who knows? I mean, people are all high on them winning a couple more championships. But what he's been able to do, Brady, that is, at 43 years old, is uh, truly remarkable with all the work he's put in. Uh, with Tom House, of course. And just being able to keep his body in shape is just – it's just insane. Hey, and even though the late 80s A's just won once, going to three straight World Series is an amazing accomplishment. And I, 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 I will always feel bad for the Buffalo Bills. But they went to four Super Bowls in a row. That's just incredible. That's incredible. I wish they would have won one because they had great players, Hall of Famers. But... You know, to win year in and year out. That's why when people hit me up on Twitter and go, Townsend, you talk about the success of the A's under Billy Bean, but they haven't won. Getting to the playoffs is not easy. Do we all want to see a World Series? Of course we do. Do we want to see a championship? Of course we do. It's hard, man. It's the it's the elite of the elite. It's the best of the best. It's hard to win. Look how talented the Astros were. And they had to cheat. With all that talent, they won one championship cheating. 
That's why that Yankee run in the late 90s, wow. It's hard. You win, how many teams, they they win one, the next year it's done. You never get back. How about, how about the Cleveland teams in the mid to late 80s? How good they were. When you're talking about Tome and Manny Ramirez and Albert Bell, and then they got Roberto Alomar and they had Eddie Murray. They had Hall of Famers all over the board. El Presidente. Charles Nagy, Oral Hershiser, Sandy Alomar Jr., friend of the program, by the way. We interviewed him in Vegas last year. You remember how talented that Indians team was? Kenny Lofton? I was going to say, don't forget Kenny Lofton. He was really good, too. They had the Omar Vizquel. Who played third? Uh, was it Carlos Viega, was it? No, because he would have. Let's see. Viagra was at second base. Ninety-five. Let's just do ninety-five Cleveland Indians because that's they were. And then they got Alomar. Man, Roberto Alomar and Eddie Mur. They had Hall of Famers. Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez would be a Hall of Famer. If it wasn't for PEDs. The, uh, so in nineteen ninety-five, Brian Giles and Richie Sexton couldn't make the club. Yeah, because there yeah. was so much talent on the Indians team. Uh, in ninety-five, their third baseman was Jim Tomey. Um, the year they won 100 games. Where, where they played in the World Series in nine? Well, they played the Braves. What year was that? 95. Okay. Well, give me the 97 team. And they lost to the Marlins. Yeah. Um, that's all right. They won 86 games that year, the 86 and 75. Their third baseman was some guy that coached with the A's, some guy named Matt Williams. Oh, that's right. They traded for the Big Marine. Look how loaded this team is. Give me this team. This team's loaded. Sandy Alomar, Jim Tomey, Tony Fernandez, Omar Vizquel, Matt Williams. Brian Giles played that year. Uh, Marquise Grissom, uh, Manny Wood, and David Justice was at DH. Julio Franco on the bench. Bib Roberts on the bench. Uh, and was that and Kevin Mitchell also on the bench, too. Sean Casey a- and Richie Sexton also on the bench. <laughs> this team's loaded. What was the, what was the starting staff? Their starting rotation was Charles Nagy, Oral, Chad. Uh, it's O G E A. How do you say his last name? Oh, he's the guy that died in the boating accident. Yeah, he was only twenty six. Bartolo at twenty four years old, and then Jar- Jarrett Wright was on there. Then you know, guys, the other guys they had uh, Paul Assenmacher. Um, Paul Shuey. So they had they had some guys in there, and then obviously their closer that year would have. Well, they had two guys. It was Mesa and Michael Jackson. Jose Mesa. They they, they would they're kind of like the Buffalo Bills, a great team, absolutely stacked with Hall of Famers, and never won a title, but they were in the playoffs every year. It's a uh, Chad uh, OJ's I say his last name. Just looked it up. They were stacked. Oh, and they also had the guy traded for Ricky Henderson twice. That'd be Eric Plank. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Feldman knew it right away, too. Who's the guy that's left and come back the most? Oh, it's Ricky Henderson four yeah. times. So, I mean, Jed's in Lee Company right now. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to ask David Forrest about that. Yeah, that's a. I- Hey, hey, 
if Jed can if Jed can get back, he can hit. That's the one thing we know about Jed. Jed can hit. Bat to ball, he can do. And had surgery on the knee, says he feels good. This could be a steal. I don't want to oversell it because he's got to be healthy. But Jed, all I've done is show up to the ballpark every day and watch this guy hit doubles. Double after double after double. And if he can do that for the A's, what that would mean for this team? Because we knew he was, you know, when you have the kind of numbers he had. So his last two years with the A's, an 808 OPS and an 801, 49 doubles and 37 doubles. When you have those kind of numbers, you're going to get paid. And the A's weren't going to pay that price. But there's this weird thing, and we'll ask David Forst about this, is that he only stays healthy when he's with the A's. It's bizarre. You know, whether he's in Boston or he's in Houston or he's in New York, he just doesn't stay healthy. He comes to the A's. And it's very comfortable for Bob Melvin. Well, and you know, we'll talk to Bob soon. But it was very comfortable for Bob Melvin just to write him in the three hole every day. Because that's the thing when you watch the A's, you 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 see constant changing in the lineup. But when Jed was at his height with the A's, Cody, every day, Bob put him in the three hole. Switch hitter, he's hitting in the three hole every game. I forgot. I mean, I remember, like I said, I, I talked to him at the All-Star game in 2018, but I forgot at age 34, he had 23 homers and drove in 99 runners. That's, I mean, that's uh, that's absurd for the, the, for that production at his age. And he played in 157 games, and he actually got MVP votes. He finished 20th. That I know that's really low down, but he still got MVP votes. He never did that any other time in his career. So you're hoping that, you know, this is a minor league deal for Jed with an invitation to spring training. But if he can be healthy and produce, he's a great guy to have in the clubhouse and a guy to have in that lineup when you need some veteran leadership and a guy that knows how to play multiple positions for this team. And I'll say this. He's the adult in the room. If that makes sense. He's he's very bright. He's a Stanford guy. So as there's always, you know, a Lucy, it's a Lucy goosey clubhouse. Jed's Jed's kind of the adult in the room when he's been with the A's. And he's somebody you can go to and ask a lot of different questions to. You can ask him about your finances. You can ask him about a lot of different things. He's a really smart guy. And it's always good to have a player like that inside your clubhouse. Yeah, you know, Giambi would always talk about, ah, it's like a frat house in here. That's cool. But you, you got to have some guys in in the clubhouse who are once again the adult in the room. It does that make sense? Oh yeah, completely. I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's kind of like I mean, it's like that at a lot of places. I mean, you can look at that at any workplace where you want to have. There's gonna be the guys that are you know. I think I'm past that part in my life where I'm the. Well, I was never really a party or a frat boy, but um, but I think you know there you you want to have the people you have always gonna have people like that. Then you're going to have the people around my age that are kind of trying to, you know, they're figuring things out in their career. And then you have the adults in the room like you would be. You're the adult in the room. You're your dad and the husband. 
so you know you know a lot about other things outside of baseball. So you're the person I come to for things. So I, I know I'll completely understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I guarantee you Melvin is thrilled about this. Now, once again, it's got to be healthy. But getting Jed back, knowing what he can provide, and we we do have to ask David Forrest, just what does he think happened with Chris Davis? Because this had to be, it had to be tough. They made the commitment to him. They said, you know what? We're going to give you the money we normally don't give out. And then he stopped putting the bat to ball. We talked about it on, was that Saturday? When did we have Martin Gallegos on? It was Saturday, yeah. Yeah, it, it became awkward to talk to Melvin about it. It was just, it, you know, everybody was pulling for him. It just got strange and... So we got a lot to get into with David Force. It's all coming up next. The general manager of your Oakland Athletics right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. All right, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics is going to join us here on A's Cast Live. Are we calling him or is he calling us? Uh, David's supposed to dial into us, so we'll be awaiting his phone call. We're one week away. Pitchers and catchers reporting. When do, is it position players on the 25th? I think it's the 22nd is when they come. That will be, what, a, a Monday? Monday. Can't wait to get this thing going. Start talking about some games. I, I'm, I, I just, it's, it's going to be great. And David joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, David? What's up, Chris? Long time no talk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you got to be excited. And we were just talking about it. We're one week away from your pitchers and catchers showing up to Mesa, Arizona. Uh, yeah, a week away from them actually being on the field. Everybody's coming in even three days before that to start the intake process. So uh, it's even closer than a week, and uh, here we go. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to get done and a lot of things to figure out how they work, but uh, we are getting started. You know, haven't been around you guys for a long time. I try and tell the fan base, you just got to trust the process. There's a reason why you guys get to the playoffs all the time. And I think I think everybody just things were a little bit slower this off season, but out of nowhere you got your shortstop. We we had Jed, we had Jed we had uh, we had Jed on the uh, Jed Lowry on the show earlier today. It's just people need to trust the process, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer for you in an off season. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I appreciate the. Uh... Yeah, the confidence. Um, this is this has been a weird off season. I mean, we're coming off a, a weird sixty game sprint and and into an off season where we didn't necessarily know if we were going to start on time until like a week ago, and then still until like two nights ago, waiting for a manual on how it was all going to work. So it's it's been a weird off season for sure. And, and there's a lot of other things going on in the world, a lot of things to figure out, but. Um, but obviously all along we've been, you know, hoping there are opportunities to improve the team. And I think there's 
certainly enough uh, enough of a foundation, enough of the 2020 group returning that that this this group should have a chance to defend its division title. And um, you know, adding Elvis obviously huge to to add some stability to that position. Um, you know, we're we're hopeful to get uh, the 2018 version of Jed Lowry back. That would be a boost and. Uh, and a lot of other conversations still going on. So I don't think uh, I don't think the full roster is out there yet. We, we've still got some work to do. How weird was it this offseason that you didn't necessarily know all the rules? You didn't know the roster size? I, I, as a front office, when you're trying to build a roster and you don't really know the number, is it going to be 26 or 28 or 30, a taxi squad? What was that like for you? Yeah, it's it's strange, and and you know obviously we don't we don't have the dilemma that National League teams had and still have, and not knowing if they're going to have a DH. It looks like there won't be a DH in the National League, and um, you know so we don't have to contend with that. Um, but you're right, there you know all the uncertainty kind of leads to everybody really not knowing when and how to act. And I think you know we saw that with free agents signing later than ever this year and, and big deals not happening until well after the first of the year. Um, and it just, you know, it just lends itself to sort of kind of being on hold for a while. And that's where we were for, for much of the off season, which is not the way we like to operate. I mean, you've seen in other off seasons, whether it's trades or free agents, when we have a target, we sort of know what we want. We, we try and act quickly and, and make quick strikes um, so this was not, you know, not ideal for us. Um, but we, you know, we, we remained patient. Like I said, we, we made the deal for Elvis when it became clear Marcus was no longer an option. And, and, you know, I'm, we're still working the phones and, uh, you know, hopefully, like I said, get some things done before, uh, before too long here. You know, we talked to Elvis on Saturday. We did a special show after the trade and David, I've been inter- interviewing pro athletes for a long time. And he sounded to me like a football player. All he wanted to talk about was winning. He's like, I- I'm so excited for a chance. This is a guy that's played in two World Series. He's played in 42 playoff games. He's coming to Oakland to win. And just uh, it's just music to my ears. When, when you talk to a guy like this and you know his pedigree and you know that it's not about money, it's not about at-bats, it's, he's coming here to win a ring. I think you got to love that. It was really important to hear that from him, and and we certainly did. I mean, we as the trade discussion was going on, we had a phone call. Me, uh, along with Billy and Bob, all talked to him because he had, you know, he had the no trade clause, and and it was ultimately up to him. Um, and and he said exactly those things. He wants to win. He's seen us across the diamond, obviously, for twelve years. He know knows how we operate. He knows how Bob manages. Um, and and it it's not about money because he, he gave up some money to come here. I mean, we know the difference in, you know, taxes between here and, and being in Texas and he gave up some money to come here and, and he wants to win. He was excited about playing alongside chap on the left side of the infield, excited about the group that we've got returning. You know, they obviously have had a, a rough few years in Texas um, and he wanted, you know, his last, his last couple of years to, to be spent with a chance to win. So it was exciting. I, I talked to him again the, the morning we, we finalized the deal, and um, he was so excited. And again, yeah, he, he knew that this is a group that's got playoff experience. He just wants to add his to the mix. And, and like you said, he, he's been to the World Series. That's something our guys haven't done yet. 
Um, and, and if a little bit of that rubs off on the rest of the group, that'd be great. You know, Chris Davis will always look back at those three years as he was just a dominant power hitter. Obviously, things change. I know it's got to be tough for you guys because you made the investment in him. Uh, I know how much he means to you guys as a person. Just uh, just talk about trading Chris Davis, and, and, and it, it couldn't have been easy for you guys. No, it wasn't. I said the other day when I talked to the writers that, um, you know, first of all, it was a very difficult phone call to make uh, to, to talk to Chris. And as we were going along in the discussions, that, that was sort of the part of it I was dreading the most was having to make that phone call. Um, look, my, my son has been wearing number two in Little League for the last five years for a reason. Um, but, you know, Chris is a pro. And, and I, I told him and I and I said this publicly the other day, like, he came here at a time when uh, we, we were not that good a team. You know, he, he, he was the guy who sort of changed the direction and, and had those huge years in 16 and 17 and, and kind of gave everybody something to aspire to. And, and yeah, he was, he was invaluable for us during that time. He, you know, he kind of sold the A's by himself with uh, some 40 homer years. And so it's always hard to make that phone call. And, and, you know, Chris is a pro. I know he wants to get back on track after the last couple of years and um it's interesting to you know to me that we're sort of bringing jed lowry back a couple of years uh, you know a couple of years away and now we traded chris and you always feel like hopefully there's another chance down the road and, and we, we we kind of find a way to make that happen in some cases well you know i i think about jed and you know we know what he has meant to this club over the years and just an extra base hit machine all the doubles great ops but the other thing about Jed, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, I, you know, the thing about Jed is it, it's like he's the adult in the room. He's a really smart guy. I, I, I think a lot of people can go to him for advice. So not only if you can get him healthy, what he does on the field, but also what, what, what he does for your clubhouse. For sure. There's definitely that element. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to sort of sugarcoat it, losing Marcus and Liam, a couple of the, the you know, more veteran leaders in the clubhouse. I mean, that's definitely a factor. So um, I think Jed's at a little little different place now than he was in 18, obviously, going out, you know, looking for that big contract after the year. And he, right now he just wants to prove he's still the guy that, that he thinks he is. And it, it was a rough two years in New York. And, um, we're you know, our guys are really impressed with where he is physically. Um, I'm sure he told you he's ready to – ready to get out there and, and, you know, coming in on a non-roster invite. I mean, I think he, he sort of understands what's ahead of him and uh, it'll be fun to watch him over the next six weeks. Yeah. I mean, cause if he works out, you got your left-handed bat. Um, because you know, it's one thing that we've talked about before is your very right-handed dominant lineup. Are, are you still maybe looking to add another left-handed bat? I, I am. I, I'm, I'm always looking. So, uh, no, we're, yeah, I think we know we're right-handed. Obviously, the two guys on the left side of the infield, most of the outfield, um, you know, Murph behind the plate. So, yeah, I, I think we'd like to balance it out. Obviously, Jed goes a long way towards doing that, helping Ole. Um, but, yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing some late shopping here, some, some last-minute shopping to – to look for a left-handed bat, maybe, you know, look in the bullpen. We'll uh, we'll see what's, what's still out there. You know, I'm a big Mike Fires guy, and I've talked to you about this in the past. He's 26 and 9. 
since he came to the A's. All Mike Fires does is win games, and he especially win games at home. I don't know if you can confer- confirm it. Other people have confirmed it. Or, or, is Mike Fires back? <laughs> I I can't I can't confirm it yet. Um, I, I've seen the reports, and we definitely uh, we definitely like the idea of having Mike back um, until uh, until some paperwork is done. Uh, probably premature to uh, to discuss it here. Okay, so but I look at your rotation, and let you know, Manaya. Frankie Montas, Jesus Lazardo, Chris Bassett. You still got the younger kids with Jeffries and Caprellian and Holmes. You're still hoping for AJ Puck. Uh, are you happy with your depth? It seems like you got a lot of depth with your starting rotation. Yeah, no, I feel good about that group. And uh, and yeah, I mean, we we're gonna get AJ out there in the spring and get him stretched out and see um, see what's best. Obviously, he's coming off couple of years now with not a, a ton of workload so we know we knew going into the offseason even if even if his rehab went great which it has um you know that we were going to have to sort of be creative with his innings in 21 so um he's definitely part of that group along with those other guys and um but you know certainly the first four names you mentioned I, i'd match them up against just about anybody around and and what they did last year for us getting to the playoffs yeah, it really chapped my hide. ESPN had an article that rated your starting staff 20th in baseball. I went, are these people not watching? <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? This is one of the best staffs, uh, one of the most deepest staffs in, in baseball. But, I mean, you know. Uh, the national- no, it's okay. Just, yeah, let's let's stay under the radar. We, we can sneak up on some people. We don't, we don't need to be ranked high. That's, that's how we roll here. There are a tremendous amount of players that are still out there. I don't know. This may be the most in your career that you've ever seen free agents, whether it's relievers, position players, there's a bunch of guys. So for you right now, what are you looking to improve on this roster before you guys head to Mesa? Well, like I said earlier, it's, it's you know, we try and make our sort of targeted strikes and guys that we know and guys that, you know, that we would have gone after early in the off season if this were a normal year. So, um, you know, we're, we're definitely talking to relievers, looking to shore up the depth in the bullpen um, you know, some of that left-handed back conversation, though that's not as easy to fit when you feel like you've got, you know, you've got starters at every spot. So the nice thing about the bullpen is you've got a number of spots down there to fill. So um, it's hard to say exactly, but, um, but yeah, we're looking, looking to keep improving. And it doesn't necessarily have to be done by the time we get on the field Tuesday or by the time the position players even go out there. I mean, I think the way this off scene is, offseason has gone you're gonna see guys signing into march probably and, and that's kind of the way it goes yeah it just is what it is uh let's end on this what excites you for 2021 about your ball club well the same thing that did back in november the, the the group of experienced guys who are coming back who make up the core and the foundation of this club and that's the four starters you just talked about for sure i mean those guys give us a chance to win every night um, and the position player group that's returning, and, and Murphy, Olson, Chapman, now put Elvis in that group, and then Canna, Pinder, Loriano, Piscotti in the outfield. Um, you know, that, that's a position player group that, uh, that got us to where we went last season, and there's no reason they don't all get better this year. So the, the idea of all those guys being at a point in their career where they continue to improve, um, they're all trending up, and you think about what, what happens if they all come together, those starters do what they're capable of. It's, 
you know, again, it's a chance it's a chance to really go out and defend uh, the Western Division over the course of 162 games. And I love how every player we talk about and we talk to David, they talk about winning. These guys, it's this is a this is a core that's won together in the minor leagues. Now you bring in a guy like Elvis, you bring Jed back. It's just these guys are about winning. They want to win games. They want to win in the playoffs, and they want to win a World Series. So many other franchises are talking about other things. I just like the fact that everybody we come in contact with is about winning, and it's about winning in Oakland. Yeah, it's look, it's what it's what we're here for. It's, it's why we we spend all the time doing what we do. It's why the players put in the work in the off season to to get ready to go out in the field next week. It's that's the point of what we do. So um, yeah, it's exciting to think about uh, getting back out there, winning games, and um, and yeah, I, I I'm I'm happy with where we're at right now. Well, it's great to have you back on. It's good to hear your voice. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. All right, Chris. I will uh, I'll talk to you from Mesa. Take care. All right. See you. David Forrest, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. And I mean that. Listen to everybody we're talking to. It's about winning. That's just everybody is like, win. We want to win. We want to win now. We want to win this year. It's not talking about contracts. It's not talking about at-bats or innings. or anything. They all are like, we want to win. They've tasted. They've tasted. They've gotten that taste. They want more. How many teams, Cody, are like that? How many teams? I'll tell you what. Dodgers want more. We saw the Padres want more. The Toronto Blue Jays want more. Yankees, there's certain teams St. Louis Cardinals now, now that they got Arenado, there's certain teams that are in it, and they want to win, and they want to win this year. The A's are in that group. But there's quite a few teams that are not. And I said this, I don't know, I think I said it Saturday. You can ham and egg a 60-game season. You can't do that for 162. And 162, you really see your strengths, you see your weaknesses, and your warts get really exposed. Do I think the Marlins can do what they did? No. I think there's going to be certain, I think there's teams that you saw had some success, but in 162, it's a whole different ballgame. And I see the A's depth from the starting rotation I see the depth. Hey, it's funny. Everybody else is confirmed. <laughs> Mike Myers is an A. <laughs> I, I, I think he's going to be an A. But, I mean, it's just you, you got starters. Bullpen. Bullpen is always going to be fluid. So, remember how good the bullpen was in 2018? And then you and I remember Cody, we we're at spring training, and oh, this bullpen is the strength. The next thing you know, Trinan and Trevino can't get anybody out. And Liam Hendricks ends up being the closer. I bullpens, I don't know how to read bullpens anymore. I, I think you can look at the names and you can take an educated guess whether it's going to be good or not, but you have no idea. Year to year, bullpens are so hard to build. 
Uh, I agree a hundred percent on that, and because as someone that likes bullpens and loves the bullpenning strategy and multiple guys, the Rays were the best. I mean, the Rays been the best at it the last couple of years. We saw they had twelve guys in the regular season and one guy being Peter Fairbanks have a save in the rate in the postseason last year. So thirteen total guys. You know their bullpen's going to be pretty good. The Yankees will have a good one. The Dodgers will be pretty good. I keep forgetting the Dodgers acquired. Um, uh, I, I I just had his name on top of my head. The former. Brewers, uh, Corey Knable, they got him from the Brewers. So you're buying low on him to hope he comes back. Uh, those are the teams, you know, the, the, it's actually funny you mentioned the relievers on the market. Brandon Kinsler, the closer from the Marlins last year, actually just signed with the Phillies uh, earlier today. So that's a guy off. I went over that list of relievers the other day that are still out there, like a Shane Green or Mark Melanson, you know, guys that DAs can maybe look at that are, you know, could go to options for their bullpen. But uh, you're hoping Trevino bounces back. He was pretty good last year for a little bit. J.B. Wendelkin was really solid last year. Jake Diekman was hey, solid. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a name. And remember, he threw the ball well early. Burt Smith. Yeah, he's another one. He was good when he was healthy, like, yeah. Like you, don't, like, you have no clue. Blake Trinan had arguably the greatest year of a reliever. I don't think I'm overstating that, correct? No, he had, what, nine wins? He had the ERA under one, the strikeouts. He had 100 strikeouts. He had one of the greatest years we've ever seen. I can at least say that. And then the next year, couldn't get anybody out. I mean, to have Mariano Rivera, to have Trevor Hoffman, to have Eckersley, to have Fingers, I mean, those are Hall of Fame guys. It, it they, they don't grow on trees. That's why your bullpen, you just never know year to year. Kenley Jansen used to be automatic. And then now they're like, do you want to put him in a playoff game? I think the fascinating – you're right about Kenley Jansen, and that's why the Dodgers have uh, you know the options with Ken Abel and Trinan and, and uh, Gratterall, and then they signed uh, – you know, Joe Kelly's still there. So they have other guys that can maybe – Joe Kelly's been getting ripped. Yeah. <laughs> Remember how good he was in Boston? Then he yeah. goes at Gratterall – He's not automatic. No, they they don't have a guy that's going to be a shutdown reliever, like shutdown closer for them. I think Gratterall could eventually grow into that role just because he throws the hardest, and that's kind of what you want from your closer essentially anymore is a guy that just throws hard. Uh, but if you like the one guy that I'm going to watch closely this year is going to be Devin Williams from the Brewers because he was a reliever of the year in the National League last year, but he kind of came out of nowhere. So I want to see what he does in a full 162 game season because you know what you're getting out of Josh Hader, the the big lefty, but. I want to see what do, Williams does. Do, do you know if he's going to be there? Well, that's that's a whole another conversation to have. Or the you know are the Brewers yeah. going to hold on to him? But yeah, though bullpens, you know that. I mean, I only said that before too. You can always find a closer. Um, and maybe that's maybe I'm oversimplifying it a little a little too much. But I feel like like how many different guys the A's went through just in closers in the last twenty years? Billy Koch, Keith Folk, Sean Doolittle, uh, Lou Lou Trevino, or not Lou Trevino, uh, Blake Trinan, Liam Hendricks. They've gone through guys, uh, Ryan Cook. They, and I'm going way back, but Ryan Cook, <laughs> Sean Doolittle. Yeah, so you're going through you're going through guys that the A's had. Oh, go, what was that guy Taylor with the uh, knee brace? Oh, what was his first name? Big tall guy. I'm thinking of uh, Evan Scribner never closed games, but no. uh, who was good the, dude though? Who was the closer after Keith Folk? So it would have been oh, was that oh, oh four? What was Taylor's name? God. He, he's like the only guy that's been a closer who wore a knee brace. 
Where's Dave Feldman when you need him? Uh, I'm, I'm holding up all their closers over the last couple of years. Or I'm, I'm going through the year. Every year they're closers. So 03 was Folk because the year before was Billy Koch. Uh, 04 was Octavio Dotel. Taylor was his name, I think. Okay, I'm, I'm so good. Dotel was a closer in 04. <laughs> uh, Houston Street in 05. So Street was for a couple years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Do you know how do you know how far back this this Taylor guy was? You're thinking of? It's 90s, right? Oh yeah, if it would have been in the 90s. Uh, let's see. I, I'll keep I'll keep searching and see if I can find it. But yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. God, he's 59 years old. Yeah, I'm right. It's Billy Taylor. Uh, with the A's, came up 94 and then 96 through 99, 100 career saves. He's the only guy I can remember was a closer and had a knee brace on. <laughs> Here, here's you can a, find these guys, man. Here's another guy, Grant Balfour. There's another guy that was a former closer Grant for Balfour, the A's. Balfour, yeah. Well, he's went through how many former closers in the last 20 years for the A's. So you can put guys in that spot as long as you have other guys around him that are good. Ryan Cook. Remember how good Ryan Dahl was with inherited runners? That was a big stat about him. Is he? If you if you brought him in the game with guys on base, they didn't score, man. He got every, he was just, you know in and out, but. If we go across the bay, the San Francisco Giants won three World Series, and each year they had a different closer. Wilson, uh, Romo, and Kessia, if I'm not mistaken, were the three. Yep. They had three different closers, three different World Series. Yeah, I want to have Raleigh Fingers. I'd love to have Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh's hard to find. Dennis Eckersley's hard to find. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Mariano Rivera, you found because the guy changed his grip. Remember, Mariano Rivera used to throw to Bob Melvin, if you remember back, at the end of Melvin's career when he was in the Yankees organization. Mariano Rivera had one pitch. He was supposed to be a starter. He had one pitch. Trevor Hoffman was a shortstop. I believe at the University of Arizona. Yeah, I think we looked it up before he was. Yeah, it's like it's like some of the greatest closers. It's it's like you you kind of lucked out. I mean, Dennis Eckersley was a starter. He he was a project. These guys are projects, and it just works out. So that's why it's like that's why people don't put, people don't put money into closers. It's very rare that you see an organization ink up a guy long term and pay him big money to be a closer. I think you could probably go through a list of every single team and look at all the different – like I just mentioned, you had the Giants win three World Series in five years. Each year they had a different closer. I I went to the 2011 A's team, and uh, can you guess how many guys had a save for that team that year? There were four different guys. Andrew Bailey, Belfour, Brian Fuentes, and Brad Ziegler all had at least one save (laughs) – Ryan Fuentes, I remember him. So we're, I mean, we're going way back looking at all these guys. Like, yeah. the, like I said, you can find a closer, and it's one of those, like I, that's how I've always felt about closers. Like, you know, I'm watching the A's for a long time, watching the Pirates forever. The Pirates never had a, a shutdown close. They Jason Grilly when went, their closer when they went to the playoffs was Jason Grilly, like 38 years old. You know, I called his very first game with the San Jose Giants. Really, his very first game, yeah. Wow, you're going way back. Yeah, yeah. I, I called his first ever game 
and I remember sending the tape to his family. Um, what year was Ryan Cook our All Star? That is, uh, let me let me look up. I was look up his baseball reference page. Ryan Cook. It Ryan Cook was an All Star. It could have been. Uh, it could have been uh, 2012. Let me let me pull up his old baseball reference page. He was an All Star in 2012. He was six and two in 71 games with 14 saves and an ERA of 2.09. Then he was good the next year at the A's, and then he was okay in 2014. And then after that, ERA an ERA of 18.69 in 2015. Then he came back with Seattle three years later, ERA over five, and he's been out of baseball since. It's crazy. You can't predict relievers. You just can't do it. Here's another guy. Craig Breslow had a uh, had a save. Uh, Craig Breslow, Jeremy, the smartest man in baseball. Jerry Blevins and Michael Wurtz. These are guys in – this was uh, 2010, the 81-81 year with Bob Guerin. You know, when you've been around it for so long, these years just kind of blend together. So, it, yeah, it was – 2010 was the 81-81 year. Yeah. So that – I've told – have I told you that story? They were four games under yeah. 500. It was a Seattle one, right? Yeah, they go into Seattle. Seattle literally is like a double-A team. And the A's sweep the last four games. And everybody, you were 500. And I'm like going, really? Um, now that you say that, I'm now I'm kind of curious. I want to see just see if we can go through that that last, like, let's go through the last game of the year for Seattle and see who was on that roster. Oh, they were terrible. I remember Derek Barton had a big series, and everybody was like, Barton's the guy. You know, okay. He was in the. He was a big guy in the Mulder trade, wasn't he? He was. He was part of the Cardinal trade. Yeah. All right. So I'm just doing the second game where the A's won nine nothing to go seventy nine and eighty one. Um, here's in, here's the A's lineup: Rajay Davis, Derek Barton. He had six RBIs in this game. Mark Ellis, your guy Jack Cust, Kurt Suzuki. They're not booing. They're cousin. Uh Chris Carter. Jeremy Hermida and Cliff Pennington and uh, Trevor Cahill started the game. Here's the Mariners lineup. Ichiro, uh, Sean Figgins, Franklin Gutierrez, Justin Smoke, Ryan Lager, uh, Lagerhans, Josh Bard, Michael Saunders, Michael McGinney, Josh Wilson. And their starting pitcher was Luke French. Who? <laughs> I'll never forget Bob Guerin. Goes on with, uh, and Ray Fossey would remember this. He goes on, which would have been then what? Com- were we calling it Comcast then? Uh, back then it was, it might have still been, it might still have been, no, what, yeah. Fox Sports? It might have still been Fox Sports, to be honest. It went from Fox Sports to Comcast Sportsnet. Whatever. He went on with Fossey and Glenn. And it was like, so proud that they were 500. And I remember going, you were four games under 500 going into the series. So it's not that, you know. And then, of course, the rest is history. Bob Guerin would get fired. They would struggle. I want to say they were in Baltimore. And then I remember getting the tip that Bob Guerin's being removed. I want to say it was in Chicago. White Sox. Billy flew to Chicago. Bob Melvin took over in Chicago, and the legendary story is Bob Melvin needed the media guy to figure out who these guys were. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that story, yeah. And he was reading the media guide on the plane home going, who are these guys? 
So you, now One you, of the best things as an A's fan, one of the best things is to look at the roster in Japan in 2012. All right? It's Brandon McCarthy and Bartolo Colon start the two games. Go look at the roster against the Mariners in Japan. And then go look at the box scores of when the A's are now taking on the Tigers in the postseason. They're two completely different teams. So the 2012, you could do go, you could do a deep dive on this, Cody. They had so many different guys came in and out of the organization in 2000, in 2012. Like Brandon Inge into playing third base at some point. I mean, they had all these different guys. And and then all of a sudden, towards the end, you now got Steven Drew at shortstop. If you look at the starting lineup from Japan or even opening day, because I want to say we came back from Japan and we still played the Mariners opening day. I think that was the time we got Keen, Keen Felix back-to-back opening days. The lineup from the early part of the season to the playoffs, is it's, it's like literally – completely different. Uh, I'm pulling up that roster right now from 2012. Uh, they got a tip from uh, our good friend Ray Fossey. Mike Magnate also wore a knee brace, so there's another guy that wore a knee ah. brace. <laughs> uh, oh, so- that, 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 that was – oh, that's a dirty – that's a story that you feel bad for him. Uh, so this is the second game in Japan. Here's the A starting lineup. Jamal Weeks, Cliff Pennington, Coco, Johnny Gomes, Kurt Suzuki, Yoannis uh, Cespedes, Josh Reddick, Josh Donaldson, Kila, Kaihue, and Bartolo Colon was a starting pitcher for the A's. Uh-huh. And everything changed. A lot changed. And that's why, you know, we talk with people all the time that that's what baseball is now. There's going to be dramatic change. And, and you know what? That's That's really all of sports. Look at the turnover year to year in an NFL roster. There's now questions about Clay Thompson getting traded. How long is Draymond Green going to be a warrior? Now, this has always happened with the A's, so it's kind of, you know, people, it it, it it stings. But really, I mean, I, I've been seeing today there's multiple rumors out there about Derek Carr and the Raiders. If you would have told me a couple of years ago Matthew Stafford was going to get traded from the Lions, I would have told you, you're crazy. Tom Brady's playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, folks. Tom Brady. Can you imagine? Literally the greatest quarterback, if not football player of all time, had a divorce with his franchise. Who would do that? So there's always going to be movement in professional sports. And I know Ace fans hate it, but it's just look at all the guys we've read off. Look at all the closers we've gone through. The bottom line is about winning. It's about the front of the jersey, not the back of the jersey. No one is going to be Cal Ripken here, okay? Cal Ripken is not staying his whole career here. Not happening. And really doesn't happen anymore anywhere. You think about those franchise guys. 
I remember sitting in the stands, Cal Ripken's last game at the Coliseum, and Mike Crowley gave him wine from Napa, and it, Mariano Rivera's last game, they gave him a surfboard. It just This does not happen anymore. It's going to be very rare to see one guy play in the same spot his entire career. Albert Pujols is not going to end as a, as a Cardinal. Probably that you got to think Trout maybe, Cody. He got that contract, so you, uh, you're thinking he, he might. I mean, you would have thought Mookie Betts in Boston, but obviously he got moved. I mean, how many guys are going to spend their entire career, you know, doing my deep dive on the Braves? Think of how many different teams Greg Maddox played on. Greg Maddox was a Dodger. He was a Padre. Cub, twice. Seriously, it's Greg Maddox. How does he not stay? How does one of the greatest pitchers of all time not stay with the same organization? None of those guys did. Glavitt went to the Mets and Smoltz went to the Cardinals. Not think of all the great players that were with the Mariners. Griffey, A Rod, Ichiro. Big Nugget, Ichiro, none of them stayed. Not one. We talked earlier about how great Barry Bonds was. Didn't stay with one team. Bonilla, Vance Like, they all moved different different teams. No, I mean it's just it's 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 professional sports. And staying with the one team your entire career and getting the statue and all that kind of stuff. Eh. Willie Mays was a Met. Hank Aaron was a Brewer. Ricky Henderson was an Angel. Oh, <laughs> Rick. Rick. <laughs> uh, Can we name all the teams he plays? He was a Dodger. He was a Padre. He was an Angel. He was a Mariner. He was a Met. He was a Blue Jay. He was an A, a Yankee. Red Sox, right? He was a Red Sox. <laughs> that, that's what, nine teams? Yeah, nine teams, yeah. <laughs> uh, before we go, because I know we're a little over, but uh, in 2006, when the, A's, when the A's lost in the ALCS, seven different guys recorded the save for that team. Houston Street had 37. Justin Ducher had nine. Duke. Chad, Chad Godin had two. Kiko Calero had two. Kirk Sarlus had two. Joe Kennedy, the late Joe Kennedy, had one. And Ron Flores had one. So there's a bunch of different guys who recorded saves all the time for the A's. Um, you know, you had your run-of-the-mill guys. But there was one year that it was Alan Embry that had a bunch of saves for the A's in the, mid, in the, mid, or the late 2000s. All you need to say, all you need to say, who represented the American League in the World Series this year? Oh, the Rays. And how many guys got a save? 60 games plus the, the round where you played three games, then the division, then the ALCS in San Diego, then the World Series. Not a lot of games. How many guys had a save? There'll be a 13 players that got a save. 13 for different guys. So how many games did they play? So 60. They played only, they, they, they play, played under 80 games. Yeah, they played two in the first round because they swept the Blue Jays. They played um, five against the Yankees, and then they played seven against the Astros. So that's 12, that's 14. And then how many games in the World Series they would have played? They, was they losing six, six games? Game. So six you, games. Yeah, so that's 20, right? So they played 80, I think. In 80 games or whatever. 
they had 13 different guys get a save. That's that that's that's modern day baseball. Uh, their leader had six, and that was Nick Anderson, who was supposed to be the closer. And guess what? He wasn't even pitching in uh, late in games. He's pitching in the sixth and seventh inning in some games for them in the postseason. So, yeah. I mean, in 80 games, you had 13 different guys get a save. One of the guys they just traded to the Angels, Aaron Sledgers, who's the tallest guy in baseball, he had two saves. I mean, just go through this list of guys that had saves for the Rays, and you literally look at this team and go, who? Sledgers, John Curtis, Oliver Drake, Ryan Thompson. Jalen Beeks, Ryan Sheriff, Chaz Rowe, Andrew Kittridge, Anthony Banda, Edgar, Edgar Garcia. Those are the guys that had the saves. And then Diego Castillo right. at four. Are you going to be shocked, just off the top of my head, Jake Diekman gets saves this year? No. Uh, Lou Trevino? No. J.B. Wendelkin? No. Burt Smith? No. Come on, come on, say it. Jordan Weems. Yes. Oh, you'll be shocked if he gets one? Yeah, because there's another there's another guy I'm waiting for you to throw out there. Who am I missing? AJ Puck. No, I would not be shocked oh. if you got saved. <laughs> you doubled down on that. Like, seriously, you could see the A's getting saves from five, six. There may be a guy that's not even on the team right now. That's going to get saves for the A's. Who knows? Mark Melanson could be an A, and he could get saves. I'm just throwing out a guy that came on top of my head. I'm not saying Melanson's coming. And by the way, if they signed him, I'd be happy. Great guy. I've interviewed him a few times. He's a great guy. He he gets he he yeah. He's had a really good career. He gives you a chance. That that could be our over and under. If we're going to have 162 games, what's What's the number of guys get a save for the A's this year? We doing over under. Let's let's set it to five. Because we already we named off about five guys: Burt Smith, Deekman, Trevino. I said Puck, and then who, who am I forgetting? There was one other guy that you threw out there. Oh, JB Wendelkin. So that's five. We can no, do I f- threw out Weems too. Yeah, so that's yeah. So you could do you could do five. We'll just leave Puck off for now and say the five. Yeah, I mean over and under. What are you taking? A five. I still might take the over. Yeah. That's 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 where this game's going. Now, if you have Raleigh Fingers, then you don't have to do that. But they don't have Raleigh Fingers. I mean, the White Sox, let's be honest, made a really big investment on somebody that's barely been a closer. And we love Liam, friend of the program. And we'll, I will root for that guy. I think he's salt of the earth. He's a special human being. I love Liam Hendricks as a person and as a closer. They made a really big financial. People aren't doing that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. You're more an analytics guy than I am, and I'm even like, yeah, I'm not. I mean, putting that much money in a closer and a guy who's barely been a closer? I mean, look, just – just look and his at, age. I mean, just look at some of the guys that have gotten big money as closers that we can think of. Um, there were free agents. Mark Melanson was a guy that got a ton of money, and I mean, they were booing him off the mound in San Francisco. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, what are we talking about here? I mean, Will Smith was. They signed him. The Giants signed Will Smith to a. Uh, no, that's actually the Braves signed him to a deal. Never mind. Sorry, but yeah, Melanson's the first guy that pops in my head. Melanson signed a big deal with the Giants, and he he lost a closer job. 
great success in Pittsburgh, but then he came to he went to the Giants more pressure, and it, 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 he kind of wilted under the pressure. Yeah, there's been some got Percival for years in Anaheim. I think Hoffman, San Diego, Rivera, New York. Rick Aguilera was good. I mean, if we went down the, uh, I mean, Lee Smith pitched for. I couldn't even name you all the teams. Lee Smith pitched for a ton of people. He pitched. He was all over the American League National League. But, I mean, you look at the guys at Jeff Reardon, you think of, like, the, like the guys with the career saves, they bounced around. I mean, even Billy, a guy that I'm an advocate for, Billy, Billy, Billy Wagner, Wagner played multiple bounced, teams. Yeah, New York, the, the Braves, the Astros. John Franco, if we're talking lefties. I could do this all day. Yeah, I know. And we're way over. But that's okay. It's our it's our station. We can do what we want. Our state, we do it. It's, like we're like Jim Harbaugh. We're the 49ers. We can do whatever we want. John Franco was good. Uh, he was very good. I mean, I remember it was a Met, but I, I feel like we're forgetting a guy that was really good um, around that era. I had a guy. He I had it, and I, and I slipped. You still think what's his name should be a Hall of Famer? Billy Wagner, absolutely. Yeah, I just think that he has a long the strikeout. I mean, there's so many good the strikeouts and everything he has, um, and being a left-handed closer. I mean, how many guys have you seen be a left-handed closer and be successful? Dan Plesac, our guy Dan. Dis, uh, Disco Dan who celebrated his birthday recently. <laughs> Um, like Joe Nathan had 377 oh, career saves. You bring up Bruce Suter. Yeah, he's another guy. Hall of Famer. John Wetland. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking of Wetland. Yeah, John Well, John Wetland was the closer for the Yankees, and Mariano Rivera was the setup guy. Yeah, the Mo took his job, and then they moved on and went smartly went to to Mariano Rivera. I think that worked out for him. He was he had a decent career. Yeah, he only has 652 career saves. Uh, and, by the way, I don't even know why he, t- he retired. He could have kept going. Probably. He could have just, I mean, thrown the same pitch that no one can hit. He didn't have an injury. He could have just kept throwing that same pitch. Probably could have played another three, four, five years. And the way the way his career ended, too, the way they had him come out, Girardi did it was awesome, where he had Jeter and uh, Pettit come out and take him out of the game. Like, I thought that was really cool how they did that to, like, honor him in, at Yankee Stadium. Uh, another guy, like, do you – where do you stand on K-Rod as a, as a, as a Hall of Famer? He's fourth yeah. all-time in saves. He's a bad dude. I mean, I put, Billy, really? yeah, I put Billy Wagner in over him. Billy Wagner, 422, John Franco, 424, and then uh, K-Rod has 437. Where's P.E.D. Eric Gagne? Gunny didn't have that many saves because um, he had those like couple good years with the Dodgers, and I was it. Let me double check and see if I can find him. Eric. Yeah, but he had monster years with the Dodgers. He had mo- he's got to have a <clears> yeah. Couple Eric Gagne is tied with uh, the great Eddie Gordado with 187 career saves, which puts them 59th, just a shade uh, above your favorite closer of all time, Kent Tacolvi, Oltik. Oh, I loved him with the glasses. He was the best. Um, Dan Quisenberry, rest in peace. Um, I, his name escapes me. He set the record. He was on the Mississippi State team with Palmero and Will Clark. Uh, he's the White Sox guy. God, what was his name? And he, Jeff Brantley was on the team with him. Jeff Brantley was a good closer. What was that guy? What what? God, what was his name? 
He set the record for the most saves in a season at that time. Um, let me see if I can. He was on the Mississippi State team in the 80s, that great team that they had in the College World Series. Okay, let me look up that team. because. God, what was his name? Because he set the record for most saves in a season. And it stood for a while. Let me just look that up and see if that, because what, K-Rod has the record now, right? Is it Bobby Thigpen? Bobby Thigpen, yeah. He was a two-way player. He also hit at, at Mississippi State. Thigpen in his career had, uh, Thigpen's actually 52nd all-time. He had 201 career saves. Uh, just, he, uh, you know, guys like, hey, Brian Fuentes is ahead of him at 204, and Mark Melanson has 205 career saves. Joaquin Soria at 223, he's 43rd all-time. Quisenberry, 244, 38th all-time. Those guys would drop down and they'd get you out. They were funky. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. We will be back on Friday. What do you got planned for Friday, Cody? Uh, well, I think you said we're going to start doing Roxy. So Roxy so far. Uh, Roxy Bernstein. But we got a, we got you know there's some things going on with Roxy that we can talk about uh, that are pretty big. I might might have to reach out to our good friend, the good doctor, Doctor Wills, to talk about the baseball because she has an art, She helped on an article in SI that that's really long that I read half of that I need to finish reading. So um, that might be one, but we'll, we'll see. So we previewed the Diamondbacks, and we've previewed the Rockies. Who's next on the NLS list? Bob Townsend's Friars, I think, we'll do on Friday. Who are we? Tony Gwynn Jr.? I was thinking Tony Gwynn Jr. or Don Orsillo or Mudcat. Those are the three guys I was thinking of. Because we just talked to Ted Leitner recently, so I figure we'll give Ted a break and use someone else. That we Any ball game? You know, they, they've added a lot. Is it enough? I don't know, but they've added a lot. They're one of the they're one of the teams that are in it to win it. There's no question. When are we doing Dodgers? Probably because we're we're off a lot next week until the following to Friday. So maybe Friday or maybe we'll wait to the following Monday because we told Susan we do the Giants with her. So I don't want to end the NLS with the Giants because well why would you? They're not going to win the division. So no offense, but they stink. Yeah. The Dodgers guys gonna be interesting. I'm I'm going back and forth between our good friend Joe Davis, or maybe maybe I can try to get Oral to come on finally if he wants to do oh, it. Love to have Oral on. Or maybe maybe I'll just wait and uh, we'll do it with one of those guys. And when we play the Dodgers in spring training, I, we reach out and ask for our good friend Trevor Bauer. I want to know how are they going to pay everybody. Because right now, the only guy under contract, what, f after two years? Yeah, after 2022 is Betts. Is Mookie Betts. Bellinger's going to be cut. You're going to have to You're gonna have to break him off. At what point are you going to cut Kershaw? You're going to have to pay Walker Bueller. Seager. Seager. You're paying Bauer. Your guy Gavin like, Lux. So you got to pay him eventually. I mean, what's this payroll going to look like? If you're going to keep the band together, you're still paying Pollock. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was a not a great deal. Like, what are we talking about here? We, I mean, they're going to – they'll blow so far past the luxury tax, it's a joke. 
if they're going to pay everybody. Yeah. That's, that's something we definitely have to get into with someone, one of our friends in L.A. We have plenty of friends in L.A. Yeah. All right. We'll see you back on Friday with A's Cast Live from 1 to 4. Be safe, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 